Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Thursday Buckeye talk from cleveland.com rapid fire. Here are the topics. If Ohio state wins out are the Buckeyes in the playoff. There's a wake forest thing in there too. Believe it or not is the Penn state or Michigan game more dangerous to Ohio state. Why was I wrong on Quinn Ewers, Caleb Williams, the Oklahoma quarterback versus Quinn Ewers. Would we interview players outside of official media sessions at this point? Adam Schefter getting his story cleared by a source in the NFL. Who will be the defensive coordinator next year? Julian Fleming on the wide receiver depth chart. What is our percent of justifiable optimism about this team after wins over lousy opponents? How should they handle Trevion Henderson the rest of the year? A Columbus restaurant recommendation, some parenting advice, what people should say in a wedding toast. Is it, are you a bad fan if you still want to bench C.J. Stroud? What's more likely, Kyle McCord at Penn State next year? The Buckeyes lose a game this year. Will any opponent defense hold the Buckeyes under 35 the rest of the regular season? What's one food you'd eat for the rest of your life? What's up with the weird jersey numbers for freshmen? Disney World tips. Imagining a Georgia-Ohio State matchup. And our halfway title picks and halfway Heisman picks. We're back with rapid fire. It's awesome. Man, I'm jacked up for this. I love the rapid fire because I love the texters. We got more than 170 questions, and I have a plan for this that I think might change the face of Buckeye Talk. Well, we'll get into that letter later. We got to do this first. Nathan, Doug, and Steven, thanks to you guys for being here. If you want to be a texter, eight, uh, 614, I knew I was going to do it at one point. I was going to say the playoff show number here or the Buckeye Talk number there. 614-350-3315. Okay, here we go. We're going to be as rapid as we can over the next two hours. In a vacuum from the 513, who would be ranked higher by the end of the season? 13 and 0 Oklahoma or 12 and 1 Ohio State? And we have a couple other questions along those lines. I'll say here. We got a lot of questions, guys, in this range. From the 513, it's a different 513. It's Aaron. If Ohio State wins out, is there any way? that they're left out of the college football playoff. And then someone from the 813, Jack from the 813, who cares about Wake Forest maybe, what are the chances that anybody from the almost competitive conference, the ACC, I thought that was lovely, 
the almost competitive conference. What are the chances that anybody from there makes the playoff? What if Wake Forest goes undefeated? So this is the issue, obviously. Number one, we always like to think about what if everybody wins out? And then it never happens that everybody wins out. So please keep that in mind. But I think, Nathan, we can sort of talk about pecking order of the people, of the teams who are positioned in certain ways right now. I think I would say there's no way that Ohio State is left out if the Buckeyes win out. And I would say that even in a world where Oklahoma and Cincinnati and Oregon and Wake Forest all win out and Bama beats Georgia in the SEC title game, which would be a worst case scenario for Ohio State. That's where I am, Nathan. Where are you? And we can spend a little more time on this because this is a big deal. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. Um, the, the question is, they do lose the head-to-head with Oregon, I think, in that scenario. If Oregon wins out and Ohio State wins out, they both have one loss, but Oregon's beaten Ohio State at Ohio State. I think that they lose that head-to-head. I think they almost have to. I think if, 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 if Should I interrupt you first, here or should I wait yeah. and let you finish your point? Because you guys disagree with that? I disagree with it. I think it's possible because the Big Ten strength of schedule would be so great. Mm-hmm. And I think this applies also to Oklahoma. I think it's possible by the end of the season. And we're talking about if Ohio State wins out. Wins over Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa in the Big Ten championship game potentially would be better than any win on Oregon's resume other than the Ohio State win. Mm-hmm. And any win on Oklahoma's resume at all. So I am a subscriber to Head to Head. But I think the strength of schedule in the Big Ten is so great as it stands now that that might trump a head-to-head. So I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also I also think it's not a slam dunk. I understand that. I would also interject here though that as of now, Ohio State has no quality wins. No, but we're not talking about right now. We're talking about. But hold on, let me finish the thought. Jesus. Okay. (laughs) They have nothing yet. Buckeye talk. Let me finish the thought. Jesus, Buckeye talk. (laughs) And they have nothing yet, and I am skeptical that that Michigan State game, maybe even that Iowa game with what we saw last Saturday, are going to have great cachet. Now, that does leave the Penn State game, the Michigan game, as being ones that have a lot of value to the committee. So I'll, I'll concede that argument. I just – you may be right. I just think if the situation were reversed, if, if a one-loss Ohio State team had won at Oregon and then lost the playoff argument to get in, I think fans would probably be irate. So I just want them to kind of keep that in mind, look at it from that perspective. Uh, I do think you're right, though, that if, if Alabama beats Georgia, they have half of it walled off. Then everybody else going undefeated or everybody else winning out. Other than the that potential Oregon problem, I think they do get in over Oklahoma. But then I think that gets sticky, too. You're keeping out an undefeated, what would be an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. Go ahead, Stephen. I was going to agree with Doug on, on the point with Ohio State, but also the committee might also take into account, you know, what teams look like right now when it's time to actually make these decisions. And Ohio State is a lot better than what Oregon is right now, just period, regardless of what happened on the field that day, especially when you throw in the context that Ohio State starting quarterback probably wasn't anywhere near healthy enough to be playing in that game, even though he was. So that's kind of okay. That's a that's a little far. That's a okay. Little fine. Far. The point is he wasn't His healthy. Shoulder hurt. That's His throwing that's shoulder far. hurt. His throwing okay, but shoulder. We're at, now he wasn't healthy enough to play. Then that's that's nothing. That's nothing enough to play. That's a. 
that doesn't Ohio State can't argue that that's like a reason. It's more like they uh, made the a point, bad decision to put a guy who wasn't healthy enough to play in the game. The point is, it's like more about the fact that Ohio game. State is a lot, but is much better than they were in that game. And Oregon seems to be trending in the wrong direction with these. So, teams. but but here's the thing that you guys are both doing. This is why I was interrupted. It doesn't matter what's happening now. We're talking about the end of the year. They've already done it. That's so what I'm talking about. At the end but, of the year, Ohio State. To, well, then say end of the year. Here's the other thing. Oregon, if Oregon gets there, Oregon's going to play better. So that's the other issue, too. Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be back. Their quarterback will have to play better. Joe Moorhead's out of the hospital and back on the sideline. We have to we're, we're comparing like sort of maximum everybody, which is the only thing to talk about, because if they're not maximum everybody, then they're going to lose and it's not going to be a conversation. I think the strength of schedule is a huge thing in their favor. I think it's huge. And here's the thing. If you wind up in a head-to-head with Oregon. Because they're not going to wind up in a head-to-head with Oregon, I don't think, for one spot. I think it would be, in the worst-case scenario, there's two to the SEC. So here's the idea. If everything, if everybody maxes out, if you wind up in a head-to-head with Oregon for, for two spots and Oregon gets in ahead of Ohio State, then Ohio State is like, hey, we have all these wins and our only loss is to a playoff team. How are we not in? Ahead of Oklahoma. I don't care if Oklahoma's undefeated. They haven't beaten anybody, and they didn't play anybody as good as Oregon. So it's almost like Oregon getting in ahead of Ohio State helps Ohio State's case. Their only loss is to a playoff team, and then they have these other good wins. Or, well, yes, Oregon back then beat Ohio State, but let's look at what the teams have played like and what they've accumulated on their resume since then, and they get in ahead of Oregon. And then it doesn't matter if they lose out to Oklahoma or since then, right? I think there's a I think there's a needle that can be threaded that as we as much as the head to head Nathan is a negative as long as they're going for two spots I think you can spin it to a positive would the committee want to leave out a power five undefeated team no no I would say that like they would never do that for Cincinnati but in a world where the Big Ten has these teams and listen again I get it Michigan State and Iowa might not be that great Iowa beat Iowa State Iowa State still might be the second best team in the Big Twelve. Oh, I mean, Michigan State and Oklahoma State are the same thing. So th- the Big 12 doesn't have Michigan or Penn State. And Oklahoma didn't play a team like, like Oregon in the non-conference. I think there is a window for all this to work out to Ohio State in a variety of ways. I, I mean, is it 100%? All the stuff's not going to happen. I think they have a strong case because they can argue it both ways against Oklahoma and Oregon. And I think people in the room would argue it for Ohio state. Cause you know what they like? They like good balanced teams that perform well in the second half of the year and that play tough schedules. And I think Ohio state would check every box except being undefeated. I will say if we're projecting it to the end of the year, you have to project everybody to the end of the year, which is where would Texas maybe be ranked at the end of the year? Is Texas going to, and will that make Oklahoma's win at Texas more valuable? They've also got games coming up against Baylor, uh, Oklahoma state, which is a top 10 team right now, although possibly just as false as Michigan state being a top 10 team. So I think the argument, I think the argument against an undefeated Oklahoma will be tough. I don't think the committee is going to put a one loss Ohio state in over an undefeated Oklahoma that wins the big 10 championship, big 12 championship, I should say. Um, but I think the Oregon argument might be easier because Oregon won't be undefeated. Everybody will have flaws. But, but you just argued, like you preemptively said, well, Iowa and Michigan state, those wins might not mean that much by the end of the year. And then you said, Texas and Oklahoma state might be good wins. Like there, there's nothing no, about, 
But there's nothing right, about like both, you both you discounted you discounted Ohio State's wins over Michigan State and Iowa. You said they might not be that great. By the time we get to the end of that year, if those if they have those wins, those wins might not be that press, impressive. And then in the next breath, you said, but the Texas and Oklahoma State wins might be good for Oklahoma. What I said was you have to remember that it's it's not just what Ohio State's wins are aren't going to be. It's what there's the people that they're going to be judged against, what those schedules will or won't be too. You have to keep that that full in mind. And it could go, we don't know. It could go either way. So the first rankings come out in like 12 days or whatever, right? After the, not this weekend, but the next weekend. So Ohio State yes. will have played Indiana and Penn State. Steven, I do think those first rankings will give us an indication of a lot of things. They They often do. I will be very curious, Stephen, where Ohio State is ranked in the first rankings by the committee in comparison to Oklahoma and Oregon, because it will give us a little window window into their thinking. If Ohio State is somehow already ahead of Oregon now, right? Even if like let's say Oregon wins, but they still kind of look goofy, and Ohio State look if they're if they're or that the Penn State they're coming off the Penn State win, and it's like wow, that was yeah. a really good win then like they're almost in the clear. And the same thing with Oklahoma, because Ohio State's resume is only going to get stronger, I think. And I don't think that's true for Oklahoma or Oregon, really. So I do think we'll get a window in the committee thinking with these first rankings on the first week in in November. I think they might be because let's they win these next two games. The offense keeps looking like the offense and this defense keeps improving. That's optimism for Ohio State getting to championship level. While with Oregon, they're not healthy yet, and you only and you can only go off of what you're seeing right now every single week that you come out with these rankings, and that might matter a little bit. Of eh, Oregon's not looking too hot, while Ohio State has the best offense in the country and a defense that's getting better, and Oklahoma keeps sneaking by teams and trying to figure out its quarterback situation. I mean, so I won't all, be surprised. Oh. They might all be bundled together, and it might just be Oregon is. Four, I mean, not Oklahoma's four, Ohio State's five, or in an Oregon six, maybe somewhere in that that range. And also, I do think Cincinnati would be ahead of Ohio State now, potentially. Yeah, Ohio State will pass Cincinnati. I have no doubt that a one loss Big Ten champ gets in ahead of undefeated Cincinnati. Nathan, do how what would you expect? Let's let's again, everybody's maximized the first rankings. How would you expect the committee with what we've learned about the committee over, over the years? What do you think the order will be of Oregon, Oklahoma, Ohio State? I think Oklahoma would be ahead of o- Oregon and Ohio State right now. And I think Oregon would be ahead of Ohio State right now because of the head-to-head win. But then, yeah. It, but but as as things progress, as Ohio State gets more value wins. The thing is I was uh, Oregon's schedule I want to look at it real quick cuz the Pac-12 is not helping Oregon otherwise. <laughs> like Washington ended up not being yeah, or Washington ended up not being anything close to what people suspected they might be. Uh, Oregon does not play Arizona State this year, which has been a uh, fairly highly ranked team until it lost this past week to Utah. Oregon does play at Utah, but there's really there's just nobody else. They, they have to they have to start winning. They have to start. Oregon really has to start hammering the um, the eye appeal thing here pretty soon because they don't they're not going to have significant wins to fall back on. The thing that I don't like and I think doesn't happen with the committee is I don't like disregarding head to head willy nilly. Right. I don't like, hey, we beat you two weeks ago, but like ah, then the next week, the team that won looked a little shaky and the team that lost looked awesome. And so the team that lost is ahead of them, which happens with AP voters sometimes like it doesn't. It already happened in the AP poll. I mean, Ohio State's already ahead of Oregon. Right. In both polls. Like it didn't take anything. 
Ohio State lost to Oregon and then beat Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland. And the AP and coaches poll voters were like, ah, that's good enough. Not all. Because Oregon lost to Stanford, not Nathan. So, like, that's what I don't like. But when you start, when you add in Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, then at some point the dam breaks, I think. And that's where I think Ohio State would be. I, I Again, I know I have I got burned in the past when I said, like, Notre Dame will lose, Notre Dame will lose, Notre Dame will lose, Ohio State's in if they went out and they didn't get in. The Big Ten is the second best conference. And if they have a one-loss champ, you can't leave them out. Like, I, like they, it would be insane, right? I mean, it would be, it'd be against everything that they want the playoff to be because, like, because the Pac-12 stinks, the Big 12 looks like it stinks, the ACC stinks, but because the Big 10 was good and, and Ohio State played a good non-conference team and they have all these wins, like, they don't get in. Like, I don't think they want to live in that world. So uh, um, a bevy of questions. We're along those lines. And I just am like assured a one loss Big Ten champ is in. I'm just, I'm just a hundred percent sure of it. The ACC is like the, the almost competitive. Like I do think Nathan, like undefeated Wake Forest could absolutely be left out. Just like undefeated Cincinnati, if things don't don't go right, could be left out. Since it, the American is better than the, the ACC, like I don't, or as good. Like Cincinnati's a better undefeated team than the ACC champ at this point, if it's Wake yeah, if, Forest. If, I was going to say, like, I don't know if arguable the ACC is better than the AAC, but Wake Forest's schedule is not going to be as good as Cincinnati's schedule when you get to the end of the season. Cincinnati won at Indiana, which is a 2-4 and four team right now with four losses to top 10 teams. So that's, a, that's I think, still a win that's going to maybe have some value for the committee. But obviously the win at Notre Dame is going to have some value for the committee. And Wake Forest, I mean, just absolute nobody. I mean, Virginia, is that like their best win so far at Virginia? Um, they do play Clemson later. Clemson will probably be a top 25 team at that point. Again, maybe. Uh, NC State NC State is in the top 25 right now, but that's kind of a precarious perch. They have a, It's very similar to the Oregon situation, and they're not going to have the win at Ohio State that Oregon does, even though Oregon took a loss. The ACC's yeah, the ACC's chance of making the playoff went out the window when Clemson lost again, and when Miami turned out to be terrible, and yeah, North but, Carolina turned out to be terrible. Yeah, like, that was the thing. Was, like there was this actually was a year where I thought maybe the ACC had some depth and could their champion could do something, even if it wasn't a house or Clemson that that champion could do something. But just go down the line, like all these teams that we thought would maybe be good: Sam Howell in North Carolina, Derek King in Miami. Um, Boston College has not made any kind of a jump. Like the, it's just a very middling pool of dudes. I just I'll, I'll agree with the North Carolina um, part of that, but I think some of us out here knew that Miami was fraud because they're always fraud. Nick Saban, diabolical scheduling genius. Everybody thought yeah, that was a win, but that also was the win. Like Miami shot Alabama and Michigan State up the rankings. Michigan State went to Miami and beat the Hurricanes. Everybody was like, "Ooh, Michigan State!" It's like Miami is going to be three and nine. It's not good. It's not a good win. All right. There was a full-throated discussion. That wasn't rapid at all. So we'll take a quick break, reassess, and get to the other 19 questions. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. We'd love to have you asking these questions if you'd like to. 614-350-3315. Here's my game-changing idea, potentially. There were so many good questions, 170-plus. I think maybe, at least in for the immediate future, I think we should do like two or three rapid-fire questions on every episode. What do you think, Stephen? I agree with the notion that we should take questions from the Texas on every episode. I can't guarantee you that between us three, there'll be rapid fire. That's true. But 
you know, I do agree with the notion that we should answer text or questions. I think I rapid... support Doug mining through the text to find two or three questions for us to use in every episode. Is well, that what like you're I'm, saying? I'm going to yes. have like 90 okay. ready at the, like, we're going to get through like 20. So it's like, well, we'll just get through the other 70 over the next 10 weeks. Um, yes. Rapid fire to me is more a branding device than a representation of what actually happens. So it's like rapid fire with 19 minute answers next mm-hmm. on Buckeye talk. All right. Here's question number two, <laughs> 20 minutes from the three Oh three Penn state at home, Michigan on the road, which game is more dangerous to the Ohio state playoff chances, Steven. Penn state. Cause I don't know if you can, have, Michigan's never going to sneak up on you. Cause you kind of prepare for that all the time, especially with it being on the road. You maybe just lock it a little bit more. I think this Penn state game, especially if this Indiana game ends up just being a blowout, it's, going to be like the first smack in the face this Ohio State team gets. And we'll get to see how this new version of it responds. Nathan, do you agree it's Penn State? Yeah. I mean, anything, I mean, any loss at this point, obviously, I was trying to think of, you know, the balance of, you know, Michigan is still undefeated. Why does that, but really, I mean, any loss obviously is, is it. So I still think that, that the balance that Penn State has offensively is a greater threat than Michigan's run first, pass maybe approach to doing this. So I think it is undoubtedly Penn State because I think the fact that it's at Michigan is nothing. I, I don't think it matters. And I don't, Penn State's come in here and uh, come into Columbus and played his butt off before. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it matters where the game is played. Um, we did on the college po- football playoff show on Wednesday, we did tiers. And I had Georgia in a tier by itself at number one. And I have Penn State in a second tier with Ohio State and Alabama and Oklahoma and Cincinnati. Like, I think Penn State is excellent. And I think they would have beaten Iowa by two or three touchdowns if Sean Clifford hadn't gotten hurt. And all this revolves around Sean Clifford playing. And James Franklin this week is like playing at coy with injuries. No surprise. Also, their backup quarterbacks will be more prepared than that backup quarterback was in the Iowa game because you can't be less prepared. That, that guy got thrown into a situation that was over his head, and they'll have, they're having a quarterback competition, but they'll get that backup ready and adjust the game plan and that kind of thing. I think Penn State is like very good with Sean Clifford. They don't have a great run game, but they have a couple backs. But like John Dotson's really good. Their secondary is really good. They lost a guy on the defensive line, but they get some other, they have some other good guys who get pressure. They have really good linebackers. Like, I think I think Penn State is is very good. And I think if their quarterback hadn't gotten hurt, Penn State would be like third for real. If Penn State beats Iowa, what are they? Third? Cincinnati two, Penn State yeah. three? No, so, they'd probably be ahead of they might be even be ahead of Cincinnati. So just think Iowa. of them like that. Yeah. If, just think of them that way. It's like who's the biggest test for Ohio State remaining on the schedule? I don't know. The number two team in the country. Because that's what Penn State actually is if Sean Clifford plays. And you have to assume, I mean, Sean Clifford, it's it's his career. It's his life. Like, everything has been leading toward this. Coming to Columbus in two weeks for a chance to do this because everything's still out in front of Penn State. If Penn State wins out, Penn State's in the playoff, no doubt about it. Because they would avenge the lost Iowa and they'd be good to go. So I, I just think, like, I think Penn State is, like, as good as Ohio State Maybe because I think their defense is better and I think their offense at least has a couple dudes. So I think it's, I think it's undoubtedly Penn state. And I just hope nobody is underestimating Penn state based on the fact that their quarterback got hurt. 
against Iowa and the next guy wasn't ready. All right, this is mostly for me. Question number three. From the 574, hey, Doug, in light of recent press conferences, it seems like your summer Quinn Ewers confidence was about as misplaced as nine and three. I will have people. I'm glad I, I maybe I, I'm glad to shed nine and three, Doug, and be like uh, now be like Ewers Island, Doug. Since you're not one to run from criticism, my question is, A, how do you feel about that now? And B, what info did you have or think you had at the time that looking back was responsible for the misplaced confidence slash prediction? Not taking shots, just curious how the sausage is made because I know journalists often have info they won't can't share at the time. Uh, there was not a, there was, I mean, there was, there wasn't really info. I wouldn't say there was info. I would say it was me, uh, the contrarian nature of my existence, looking at a situation and sort of not believing what people were saying. And the idea that, well, there's too much, whatever. It's like, he's number one quarterback in the country. You don't know who your quarterback is exactly going to be. Like, I'm not, that guy is absolutely in the mix to me. And then he just got such a late start in August that, and he had the arm thing, but like all of that also I should have factored in because that was not entirely unpredictable that he is a little clunky him getting here. And then when he starts college practices, maybe he needs to rest his arm a little bit. Like it didn't go perfectly, but any assumption that like he was going to show up on campus immediately and perfectly and start rolling was also part of the misfire by me. I, I, Nathan, I am, I guess I'm not surprised. Dan Hope from 11 Warriors asked a Quinn Ewers question on Tuesday, and I appreciate anybody who just throws a Quinn Ewers question out there because we have to track it. He's the number one recruit in the country. Like, we have to talk about him. But the answers from Ryan Day continue to be like, oh, oh, no, no. Like, like we're, this, we're almost in November, Nathan, and the answers are still like, he still doesn't even know what the bathroom is, is the general vibe of stuff. That just like, he's just so not even close to ready because he's still just learning the basics. Ryan Day kind of said like, he's still making friends. <laughs> he said he's getting some guys and that really does matter. So it's like that. So it's just a uh, like really hard miss by me in trying to not take at face value what was being presented to us in the moment. Um, and me underestimating the transition and underestimating, I think, the way C.J. Stroud at this point of the year has seized the job. So it was just like a combination of misfires. Actually, nine and three actually made a lot more sense <laughs> than my Quinn Ewers take in the end. Because nine and three, again, nine and three, I was talking to people and asking them about nine and three, sort of like, in and around the program, and they were kind of like, well, no, yeah, that actually could happen because we don't know what the deal is, and there's this and there's that. And then it sort of turned out that the schedule was so bad, and Justin Fields was so good that they just rolled. So in my defense, is that a defense that my worst take of all time is actually better than my most recent take? That is now probably my worst take of all time. Well, something always has to be the worst take of all time. That's fair. That, that makes me feel better. There will always be a new contender. I'm Passing sure, of the torch. I'm sure I have my own list. <laughs> Um, to me, it was just, I mean, it, it's just the, the way this is played out. And again, he did get hurt or had some kind of problem in there that slowed things down, but he just was never here to play football this fall. It wasn't why he came here. Yeah. That also probably would be something that I, I should have taken more into account that even he didn't maybe see it this way, but I will say, and we have a question that leads into this, Steven, so we don't have to go hard on this right now. What Caleb Williams has done at Oklahoma is like sort of what I kind of was thinking. 
but Caleb Williams had been here as a normal freshman, but also he had much more to overcome because he had like the Heisman favorite in front of him. So I was probably, um, I was taking like the lack of experience at quarterback too far. And like, well, if they're just like flailing around at the midpoint for who their quarterback is. And it's like, I don't know. We got this Quinn Ewers guy over here and CJ Stroud has made it clear. It's not even close to that, but the Caleb Williams thing is a version of what I thought might happen. Um, so I'm just going to use this to transition to the next part of this conversation. First to address that part. I think part of what you were banking on is these three options aren't necessarily it and Ohio state loses to Oregon and maybe they lose two. maybe they go nine and three this year. And so if you know, it's a lost year, you might as well punt it and just go with the guy you think is the long-term person. Anyway, it was more of that than what's going on in Oklahoma right now where they're undefeated and Spencer Rattler's playing at least decently, but he's not doing enough to be the it guy. So you throw in Caleb Williams and now you're back in the national championship conversation. That's more, I think the flavor where you were headed towards now. Can I, can, can I just get into the next question? Do you want to like intro it a little bit? So, so the question number four from the two four Oh Nate from DC, Caleb Williams has looked every bit like the number one quarterback in his class and his one and a half games so far, strong, mobile, heck of an arm, et cetera. Had me thinking about Quinn and what we could be as a prospect. How did Quinn compare to Caleb? And can we expect a similar kind of explosion when Quinn gets his moment? So here are the ratings of the four guys. Quinn Ewers, perfect rating, best quarterback, best player. Uh, Caleb Williams, the number seven player, the number two quarterback with a 9-9-6-9 rating. Spencer Rattler, number one quarterback, number 11 player in 19 with a 9-9-4-2 rating. So the rating went out there. C.J. Stroud, number 42 player, number two pro-style quarterback, 9-7-8-0 rating. So the thing about the Caleb Williams-Spencer Rattler situation is now all that allows us to do is stop using Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurts as as the examples of true freshman five-star quarterbacks taking somebody's job so people can stop yelling at us and going oh you can't say that because kelly bryant was such a lowly rated recruit and was never going to keep the job cj stroud is not in that same category he's a top 50 recruit spencer rattler was the projected number one in the nfl draft pick in the preseason heisman trophy favorite and the number one quarterback in his recruiting class and he just lost his job to a five-star freshman yeah but he sucked right so if- i mean so yeah, he didn't, I, he didn't thing, so much take the job as had it given to him. So the thing that I do think is interesting is like, what if the quarterback in front of the guy doesn't suck? Cause I do think so that I, I agree with you that Spencer Rattler is a better comparison from sort of what he was coming in, but did Kelly Bryant suck when he got benched for Trevor Lawrence or was it like, well, the guy behind him is just better and Kelly Bryant's fine but I don't know that Kelly Bryant actively lost that job as much as Trevor Lawrence took it this time, the starting quarterback, like actively lost it because he had been bad all year and he was in the midst of a game in which he was murdering his team in a rivalry game. And if they didn't change quarterbacks, they were going to lose. In that micro with that game. Yes. Long-term Spencer Rattler hasn't been great. He's just been fine and fine. Doesn't win you a national title. No, he's sucked. He's completing 74% of his passes. If you watch him, he misses guys all the time. He makes ridiculous decisions. His talent is there. He's he's played very poorly 
related to based off expectation. Yeah. Well, I think related to the actual talent. You watch him make throws, and it's like, why don't you do that all the time? It felt, but Kelly Bryant just like didn't have that talent. Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler had it. So, the, the, but the question is like, and as it relates to Quinn Ewers and CJ Stroud next year, is CJ Stroud has more talent than Kelly Bryant. But what if he doesn't suck the way that Spencer Rattler sucked this year? And he's been really good, and he's really good this year. What does that possible transition look like? Because if there's not a talent gap, it's not a huge talent gap like there was with Lawrence and Bryant. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a starter actively ruining his chances to keep the job with the way he's playing, then how do you make the transition? And I don't know that, like I would say next year, I don't know that you could, I don't know that I would expect the transition. It's just like, does Quinn Ewers win the job in the spring and in August? That it's an yeah. open competition but I don't know that you'd transition if CJ is the starter week one next year. Yeah. I think there is a middle ground there. Cause even with the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation, that was kind of inevitable. That seemed like it was always going to yes. happen. Um, this Oklahoma situation is not that. So it's gotta be some middle ground where you kind of, it's a mixture of both where it's not necessarily CJ Stroud's actively losing the job. It's just, he doesn't maximize you. That's might be the question is like, which, which quarterback Mac, he might be very good. He might, CJ might win the Heisman this year for, for all we're talking about right now. He might be very good, but does he maximize what you want to do offensively? So that's, that's going to, that was always going to be the question with CJ Stroud and whoever won this job and then battling Quinn Ewers, which quarterback maximizes you long-term. And if that's CJ in the world before Quinn Ewers got here, um, six months earlier, then that's fine because CJ's just your quarterback another year and Quinn Ewers takes over as a sophomore. But now that he's here earlier, even if he's not here to play football, he is still here earlier. So if he maximizes you in a way that CJ doesn't, then we might see a similar thing at some point next year where Quinn does take the job. But if not, then then we have a different conversation. CJ can just keep the job. All right. We spun ourselves into a circle there. I was wrong. The bottom line is I was way, way, way wrong on that. And we have all off season to discuss this and it yeah. will be this one is a lot more this one's a lot more complicated than i think any of those other situations i will agree with that right because i don't think i mean nobody at oklahoma was like expecting this this year it's just right. spencer rattler was so bad you had to take him out i think mm-hmm. i i don't think they put in caleb williams because he was the number one quarterback recruit in the country they put in caleb williams because spencer rattler could not play anymore in the texas game they had mm-hmm. to put in the backup quarterback or they were going to lose by 40 so that was less about Williams and more about a guy who just was having an awful year. Jeff in Louisville from the 614. This is a question about beat coverage sparked by the discussion of the Iowa student papers reporting when, uh, or not the Iowa, the Oklahoma student paper when they took the shot of Caleb, uh, watched Caleb Williams in practice through binoculars. Is there a gentleman's agreement you won't try to interview players outside media availability sessions? Seems like you could easily run into them in Chipotle or whatever and try to ask questions you can't otherwise get answers to. Is it just that Ohio State would cut off your access if you did so? Nathan, what is your answer to this? And I will say my answer to this today is different than the answer I would have given a year ago. I think that, well, interview is a tricky word, right? Interview is I'm taking notes. I'm like maybe using the quotes I get from you. Uh, I think it's technically kind of what they're kind of maybe getting at. I mean, if I run into anybody on the street, I've run into players on the street before and talk to them like that. I'm going to talk to them. I'm not going to say, Hey, mm-hmm. I can't talk to you. I can't possibly address you as a human being right now and have a normal moment. Cause that's where you, that's, that's what's more likely to happen in the wild. Right. 
Like you're just you walk you, you you're walking down the street and the other guy's walking the other way and you're like, hey, what's going on? And you just talk for a little bit. Um, but be, especially in the I think what you're probably going to get at, especially in the age of name, image, and likeness, where I think these guys are are out there a little bit more in a way that they weren't before. Um, and we've already seen some instances where players are doing appearances related to their name, image, and likeness um, deals that aren't set up by the school and that I don't know, I, I haven't attended one, but it, some people have. And like, I don't, I, I don't know what they gave yeah. Ohio State any kind of heads up, but like they went and talked to players at those events. And I think that's fair game. The TV people do it all the time. Even before NIL, they'll see a player out. If they see him at like a campus and they'll interview him. Dan Hope is the first person who talked to JT as an Ohio State football player. Cause he went to an NIL event and he interviewed him there and then wrote a story about him. Um, so I think it is fair game at this point, but also I love how you described it as this is what happens in the wild. Like it's, I saw Chris Olave today, which I did. I saw him yesterday when I watched Chipotle because he lives down the street from me. It's weird. There I was in McDonald's across the Savannah. I saw Garrett a Wilson. Voice. Yeah. I don't go crocodile hunter voice. The, uh, as I just showed. You certainly don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't mm-hmm. go a crocodile hunter voice. You're British. So, You're British right now. That's not, yeah. That's an unknown it's accent. Tough. That was tough. <laughs> that was really uh, tough. Yeah. Whenever the aliens get here, that's how they'll talk. But it's Buffalo undiscovered City. at this stage. The, um, so I do think the NIL, my point is like, yeah, the NIL stuff has changed. That there was a tacit agreement, not even like sort of a, I don't even know those gentlemen's rumors. So like, don't do that. And here's the thing. It's a mandate. The, well, but they can't arrest you. I mean, it's like, well, I know, if, but just like, as far as, you know, credentialing and stuff like that, like that, it's part of what, yeah. But I mean, would I, they have, would they have actually yanked our credential if when I saw Garrett Wilson in McDonald's, I interviewed him and wrote a story about it? Would they have yanked my credential? Uh, Depends on no, what you asked him about. Been a discussion. I just want to, I guess I was just saying mandate as opposed to like Ohio State has put out there, don't like call our players. Right. As opposed to we didn't get together and come up with these like, guidelines it's like a thing they put out there that's all i was saying yeah i do think in this age it might depend on what you write about and ask him about like if you just saw garrett over the summer and be like hey who's the starting who's taking reps with the ones and he just flat out told you it's cj and then you reported that cj stroud is a starting quarterback based on a conversation i had with garrett wilson then they probably would get mad but if it's just something random then they probably don't care but at this point, what's the difference? What if Garrett Wilson tells you that at an NIL event where he's promoting a product that he's endorsing, or he tells you that at Chipotle? Like, what's the difference anymore? Yeah. I don't think there is a difference. Now, it, there's a difference for the player because this is how it always has worked. When a player, professional or now, quote, amateur player, is promoting something, then it's like, well, I'll go. You know, it's promotion for your thing but I'm not there just to write about what a delicious uh, beverage that you're, you are endorsing. You have to give me like other information. So everybody, everybody wins in this exchange. So I, I don't know that the player would do it right. That a player is like, well, I do a sanctioned Ohio state media events. I do NIL events, but I'm not going to give an interview in Chipotle. That's where I think it would be. But if the player did talk to you on the record in Chipotle, then I don't, Nothing, I think, would stop me anymore from writing it. And if Ohio State said, hey, don't do that, I think I would say, well, I didn't seek it out, but I saw him. And what's the difference of this and the NIL event? Neither of which you have anything to do with. And the the thing that I think is still decently fair is like, don't harass guys, especially college students who are trying to live their life. 
we all have numbers for guys. It's like, don't, don't harass them, right? Don't be calling them up for feature story interviews. That's just like a, like a human courtesy. And I think that's a, at the base sort of of why things are set up this way. You know, you can call NFL players whenever you want. You know, I mean, it's not, they're adults. They're getting cash and paychecks. It's all good. So I do think um, there's a flow to everything. And I think the flow has been disrupted. So we're not going to be chasing players down on the street, but you know, the world is the world. And, and I do think that has changed. Let's do one more journalism question here from the 816. Just wondering your thoughts on the Adam Schefter report about sending an article to uh, Bruce or was it Bruce Allen or was it was uh, Bruce Allen was the guy that John Gruden was sending stuff to whoever it was in the Washington uh, football team front office that it was like a labor relations thing. And he sort of like sent the story and said, Hey, here's the story. I just want to make sure I get this right. What did we think of that journalistic practice? And then there was like a whole thing. This is a lot of inside baseball stuff. So I will say I would not send like a news story, a contentious Mm -hmm. news story, like to a source. If I was writing a feature story on a player that was about their life. And it was not at all like there was nothing contentious to it. It was like, this is a thing that happened in their life. It's what motivated them. It's what made them the person that they are. I talked to their parents. I talked to their high school coaches. I talked to their friends. I talked to their teachers, whatever. If I was doing a story like that and there was a part of it that was delicate, right? Maybe there was something difficult that had happened in their past. I can't say that in my 25 years of doing this that I have not sent a story like that to a person who it is about and said, listen, like this is your life. For me, it's just a story. And I'm trying to, I am as being as careful and as correct about this as I can be, but like, I don't want to mess up this delicate thing of your life. Is this right? Is the tone of this right? Is the but more are the facts of this right? Is the timeline right? I can't think of a specific inter- instance when I've done that, but I think I may have done that. But that to me is different than like, hey, it's kind of like a news story. You're a, an anonymous source within the story who's telling me inside information. Is this right? That was wrong, I think, Nathan. Like, I think that was bad journalism practices. And people might say the thing that I am saying I would do or have done might be bad journalism practices. In general, you don't send stuff to people before you publish it. That's between the writer and the editor and your boss, you know. But I think there's a rare circumstance to do it, but it is not the thing that Adam Schefter did. Even if it wasn't his intention, it's bad optics because it makes it look like the person is signing off on the article, which is different than someone just confirming the facts, which you can do without sending them the article which we all do, which we all have done to say, especially when it comes to these, when you are doing like feature things, um, where even if you're, even if it's not something that's like, like you're saying controversial, but a lot of times when we're doing these, these human interest stories, there's something compelling there. Somebody overcame uh, some kind of adversity and there are things that points that need to be clarified about that. So when it's factual things, uh, you're not doing a job if you don't kind of sometimes go back, even sometimes like, Hey, this is what I have you quoted as saying. I want to make sure that that's what you said for sure. But you can't 
just send them the whole article and ask to sign off. And when people have asked me for that before, I've said, no, that's not what we do. Like, I'm, I'm happy to like, I'll run back through the facts that are, you know, the, the ones that you don't have like a firsthand, a primary source for, right? Things that just people have told you, like, um, I'll come back and ask you about that to get your side of the story or, or to verify. But no, you can't just send them the whole story and, and, and he calls him like Mr. Editor in the email. It's just a horrible look. Even if that the was all release. just like, yeah, even if it's even if it was all just like chummy or whatever, it looked terrible. It's not a press release when you do that. And I mean, you're just speaking on his behalf. That's not a, that's not a story. That's just you're a PR person. And it's, it's hard. It's like all this stuff like came out right in the Washington football emails that the NFL is sorting through. And this came out and it's like, oh, was it bad luck? for Adam Schefter that the one time he did it 10 years ago, they happened to find it. Oh, what terrible luck. I did it once in my whole life and you stumbled across it a decade later or, you know, and I do think there was a lot of this happened with uh, a Kyrie Irving story too last week. There's been a lot of discourse on Twitter among bloviating journalists, us included about access journalism and the anonymous reporting of things when it's just, hey, here's an anonymous thing. And it's like, yeah, it's an anonymous thing that like somebody wanted out there. And it's clearly either the person or the person's agent who is saying it, or it's like the GM of the team or the owner of the team that's saying it. We all know who the anonymous source is. And the anonymous source is gleeful that you're putting out their side of the story. Like that's not, that's not what anonymous sources are supposed to be for. Anonymous sources are supposed to be for that, like you're revealing something so important that really people don't want out, but you have people who have information of a thing that others don't want out and they think it's so important to reveal it that they'll tell you, but they can't put their name behind it because it would cause them great professional or personal harm, right? That's what it was supposed to be. That's deep throat stuff. This is just agents don't want to have their names and stories. So like how we got there, All this malarkey of this is how the access news breaking journalists do their job made me very proud to be a person who in 25 years has never broken a story. Finally, I feel good about it. (laughs) But I think this is much, 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 much more common in sports journalism than it is among my colleagues who cover news. Well, I also think it's common in political journalism. It's more common. Yeah. You not in just, real so news, so. not yeah. in actual news, but in political mumbo jumbo, when people write politics like politics are sports, then mm-hmm. they do the same thing. Yeah, it's just I, I still think it's more abundant in sports journalism just because of the, the frequency at which like every recruiting thing is some kind of anonymous recruiting like, free agency trades. Like, yeah, it's like because sports journalism has all this transactional kind of, stuff. Yeah, it, it has sports has is in journalism has this kind of entertainment aspect to it you see it a lot more often than you would in political where that's, you know, at least it's supposed to be serious because this is our actual lives here. People. And what people don't do anymore with a lot of the anonymous stuff is you don't take in multiple anonymous sources and synthesize the information. It's just one. You just say an agent told me something. I'm going to say a source said it's the agent. It's the agent. Source says player blank. It's like, what do you think it is? It is. It's a PR release from the agency about their player. It doesn't mean it's not true, but it's something they want out there. But you don't like you aren't double. They aren't double checking and getting like three other anonymous sources. And maybe actually the other sources say something a little bit different. 
because then they'll just come back with a separate report later. There's no synthesizing information anymore when it comes to anonymous sources. It's regurgitated bullcrap. And I mean, like, I'm joking about the fact that I don't break any stories, but like, honestly, like this kind of stuff is like why I don't, because I have no interest in it. I have no interest in butt kissing agents and butt kissing people within teams to like just release press releases on behalf of them. And if that has like caused me to miss stories over the years, like this was a reminder this week of like, good, fine. I'm fine with it because then we can analyze what actually happens. So let someone else do the press release and then we'll tell you what it means. Because anymore, that's much more valuable than who got the anonymous press release first. Man, this is going to be a long podcast. Question seven. From the 302, very curious about the continuing development of the Kerry Combs story and journey and how it impacts recruiting. Additionally, is there any chance that Ryan Day elevates Matt Barnes to co-defensive coordinator with Combs? And this is a related question from the 312. What percent chance do you give Ryan Day just deciding that Matt Barnes is the new defensive coordinator after this year? So I guess the question is this, who you got Matt Barnes versus the field? What should they do and what will they do based on his track record with assistance so far? So those aren't the exact same question. Let's quickly deal with sort of like the recruiting aspect of this, Stephen. Has, has any of this mattered in recruiting? I think we talked about this before, and I think the answer was no. Somehow it seems like there's not a huge effect. They say that the recruits aren't asking about it, which I don't believe at all because these kids aren't idiots and they're going to ask these questions about who my position coach is going to be and how this is working and what the heck is going on. I do. if So if they're not asking about it right now, it's eventually going to be a conversation with guys like Xavier Wampa and AJ Harris and Sonny Styles and on down that list. Um, so let's start there. Right now, maybe it's not, but it will be. I just say before you finish, like the only way it wouldn't be coming up in recruiting is if like Kerry Combs is not involved with recruiting anymore, right? Because anytime yeah. he talks to a prospect, wouldn't they ask, well, are you going to be here next year? Mm-hmm. So which it's one of those two things. Either they're lying to us or Kerry Combs is not involved with recruiting anymore. They probably don't want to admit to either one of those, though. So I do think that that, that makes sense. OK, we know it's it's being discussed. Is it making them lose recruits? We don't know. But obviously, it's something they have to deal with. I do think the more interesting question is who's going to be the defensive coordinator next year? Nathan, to the second part of that question, would you guess Matt Barnes or would you guess somebody else? I mean, based on Ryan Day's track history, I would guess Matt Barnes. And based on the fact that the defense has played better since this switch happened, based on the fact that Matt Barnes did have some experience doing this in a limited capacity before. Um, but this seems to be like Ryan Day has leaned into, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, leaned into comfort over casting a wide net and doing some kind of national search. I think it would be appropriate to do that, even if you ended up with Matt Barnes. I would want to go out and see like who, who's like the brightest young defensive mind in the country. Maybe he thinks that is Matt Barnes. I don't know. But I would I would cast a wide net and try to, to get the best possible defensive mind i would try to go get the ryan day of defense well he thought he had the ryan day of defense and jeff halfley but also or old defensive mind there might be some great you know 58 year old defensive coordinator who's been doing it forever who would certainly be open to a nice big offer from one of the best programs in the country steven what do you think should happen what do you think will happen I think he should go cast a wide net. This is Ohio State. They'll get the best guy you can find. What I think will happen, as I agree with Nathan, Matt Barnes is going to be the defensive coordinator because for some reason he thinks all the geniuses are in their building already. What guy talk? We think <laughs> all the geniuses are in the building. Um, I agree. 
I agree on both on both ends. It, Ryan Day's track record. And here's the thing, right? And I don't, I don't. This actually, I think, is they're good. They're good at football, right? They're good at football. They're winning. They look like they very well might make the playoff again. Are they? Are they? Are they having huge tangible effects of not casting wider nets in their assistant coaching searches? Are the fact that Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis are currently employed by Ohio State, is that like causing harm to Ohio State football? And I think people would argue that like Corey Dennis is a good recruiter and he's helping Ohio State football. Maybe not, but I also don't think that's the only thing, right? Because one is you pile them up, you pile up enough we just take the guy down the hall and it will get you eventually. But also like almost even if we'll take the guy down the hall works, I think process matters. And I think the process has not been good, right? The process of how much did they even look for some of these guys, I think is you have to go to sort of what you said, Nathan, if you go interview three people and Matt Barnes is the fourth interview. And then you say, we're going to hire one of these four people and you hire Matt Barnes even if it's like the other three interviews were fake, at least you did it. Like if you, if you just keep him on without interviewing, I just, I would have, I mean, I will have very serious questions for Ryan day about why do you keep doing this? Because if if urban Meyer had done this, he never would have hired you. So what are you doing? How, why do you think this is the best way for Ohio state football to succeed? And I do think, what was the, you said comfort versus something else, Nathan? I think that's the, the exact balance here. I, the one thing that makes me think this could be handled differently is it's a coordinator as opposed to just a position coach. And yeah. that they did not, Matt Barnes was not one of these guys that just sort of came up through the QC ranks. And I mean, he was, he was somewhere else. They saw something in him and went and got him and brought him to Ohio state because they thought he added something into the mix. He did get to learn behind um, Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley and now Kerry Combs. Like he's had some veteran and Larry Johnson, like he's had some, some veteran people to learn from. So it's not that I think that Matt Barnes might not be a good defensive coordinator, but I do think that at some point, it just looks weird at Ohio state where they never go out and try to find the best coach in the country. They always just kind of fall back on the connections and the familiarity. The pro they should be having Brent. They should be forcing Brent Venables to tell them no. And they're not doing that right now. Yeah. Even if it's a half step below that, but yes, I think that idea, like we at least tried, Mm -hmm. we at least looked, we at least talked to people. I'll, I'll be very interested I think the final conclusion, I don't think Matt Barnes as the defensive coordinator next year is an indefensible conclusion, but how they would get to that conclusion and the process they undertook and the other people they talked to, I think is an important distinction here. So, And because of also there's a domino effect here too, then you're going to need a new secondary coach. So does that just come from the quality control ranks? Like just how are you building the staff in behind him? Keenan Bailey, let's get it. New secondary coach. And again, that's under the assumption that Kerry Combs doesn't stick around, which that's true. Uh, did, did anything about, I wasn't there last week when Kerry Combs talked, did anything about the Kerry Combs press conference lead you to believe that you could imagine him here next year as a position coach and not the play caller? I would say I'm 85%. He's out the door. 
Yeah, I'd say it's a strong lean. Just the way there were a couple of questions he answered, and we talked about it last week on the pod, mm-hmm. but where he just basically said, like, um, for the rest of this season, I'm locked in, I'm here, whatever. But like he said it in a very specific way. Okay. That made me think like he's he this is mm-hmm. he knows he's moving on. Sounded like. Okay. Yeah, no, I know you guys talked about it again. I only listen to podcasts that I'm on. Um from <laughs> from the 740 about Julian Fleming. I was wondering about the depth chart at wide receiver. Julian Fleming has not played at all uh, because of nagging injuries, but it seems with the emergence of Abeka Buka, is there any concern that Fleming has been passed up on the depth chart and would be a possible transfer portal guy in his future? So, Stephen, let's expand this a little bit and give me the, the depth chart that matters for the receivers next year. Name every receiver that you think will have an actual role. Don't I don't want six deep just because it's six deep because we've okay. shown they've shown yeah. if you think only three guys will play, if you think four, if you think five, whatever. What do we think it looks like? Because my inclination is Julian Fleming has had a rough go with injuries. As good as this receiver room is, I think there is plenty of room mm-hmm. still for him here. I think he's still on track to do exactly what they brought him in here to do, just because the the problem, the injuries are one thing. It's just Chris Olave came back, you know, and that's the spot he's the backup at. So I think Jackson is the for sure starter, wherever that is, whether they move him around or keep him in the slot his whole career, he is the for sure starter. And then some combination of Ameka, Buka, Julian Fleming, and Marvin Harrison Jr., um, Marvin probably is just an X and then like, depending on maybe they move a Mecca just outside in the name of Jackson's not coming off the field and they just rotate Julian and Mecca at Z. I would, I would put a Mecca in the sure starter category with what he's done this year. And I also think we might be entering a, a world where we'll give you a year in the slot and then we'll move you outside. I don't know. We might see Jackson Smith and Jigma move outside to where Gabe, yeah. the way Garrett Wilson did this year. Emeka Buka becomes your number one slot guy. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming can battle, share, whatever, the other spot. You know, you have Jaden Ballard in there, right, is the fifth name in there. You have Caleb Burton and some of these other guys coming in. But it's as good as the room is, right? Mookie Cooper transferred. G. Scott's a tight end now. It, like, it's not like there's no way for Julian Fleming to get on the field. So Nathan, I it's, it's just injuries. And as Steven said, on top of that, Chris Olave being here, I don't, it doesn't feel like to me that Julian Fleming would have to be saying to himself like, man, there's no room for me here. I'm out the door. It has not gone as he's wanted it to go, but I think there's opportunity for it to go next year as he wants it to go. Yeah. Cause it's not like he got beat out by, Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's not—he's not a slot guy, so the, he's just not starting behind the people two might consider the two best receivers in the country. And I think next year, your point about getting the true depth chart is is taken, Doug. But I do think next year, I'm saying this hesitantly, it might trend back more towards that kind of rotation because you don't have the clear like two like potential Buckmore kind of guys right. at the top of the depth chart. It does it. The talent kind of equates a little bit next year. It crumples a little bit, not because those guys aren't good, but there's just less of a gap between those two guys at the top and everybody else. So I could definitely see like a five man thing working and making just more sense for this team next year. But I, I agree with you that I think there's still plenty of room for Fleming. If, if it would be one thing, if he were like clearly healthy and we're just not even 
getting any backup snaps were was not it was just like very like if he was if it was um you know Tyreek Johnson like that situation where right. just like he's just never getting on the field and we're like what's going on um but that's not the case and also context matters a little bit I understand he was a number one wide receiver and one of the highest rated recruits they've ever had but also he had to learn how to play wide receiver that dude was just better than everybody at the high school he went to so he could do whatever he wanted this was always this, this is a two-year process of actually learning how to play football for him so he might still be on schedule even if the injuries have prohibited the actual playing time and he wasn't healthy during the first year so that development right. stalled like there's a lot of there's a lot of x factors here it's not just purely a guy showed up and then just didn't seem like he was good enough and like to your point Stephen jackson smith the jigba was just at such a higher level in high school that mm-hmm. for him to make a quicker transition is not surprising and nathan julian fleming has been on the availability report a couple times yes right mm-hmm. yep. oh yeah, yeah he's been unavailable the last couple of weeks yeah so it's, i mean it's it's clearly multiple things here and while it's frustrating i don't think he is or would be in a position where he feels like his Ohio state career is a lost cause. You know, like I think it's all still out there for him um, for 2022 from the six one four. We all said this team, this is our guy, Seth Shaner. We all said the team would look better in the games following the Oregon loss. And many of us said we wouldn't be fooled by the play against lower competition, but this team is specifically CJ Stroud have looked so improved that we've all been sucked in on the potential for greatness as the year goes on. What percentage do you put on that feeling being justifiable? So we all agree they look a lot better. I think we're in, in agreement that like they have a very good chance to be a playoff team. I think we're in agreement that like the defense has improved and CJ Stroud has improved. So Nathan, you're like a hundred percent all in on those feelings. You're 5%. Uh, I mean, I feel them, but I understand that it's, it's Tulsa, Akron, Muckers, Maryland. Where are you on percentage of your feelings? Not sure I completely understand what was being asked here, but I'm going to say like, like 70, <laughs> 73%. It's like we all, I think we would all look and say, man, they're playing a lot better in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways, right? Trevion Henderson, the defensive adjustments, CJ Stroud maturing, you know, the offensive line's still really good. Maybe they'll get a little healthier on the defensive line. They're figuring some stuff out at linebacker. I think when we did it like the, during the break, we found like seven areas where they're much better at. But then we kept saying, well, they haven't been really. Those areas haven't really been tested yet. So we all agree the areas are better, but I'm like, ah, I'm like only what percent really believing I'm, I'm certain that all that stuff is real. You're like two thirds of the way there. You're saying. I'm, I'm probably more than two thirds of the way there because I mean, I was the one who after the Oregon game said that I thought it was likely they'd lose again. And then I thought that was reinforced by the Tulsa game. I mean, the Tulsa game is maybe the worst game they've played all year. Right. I mean, Easily. considering the level of competition like that. Oh, was, yeah. That was terrible. not good. So you're three weeks into the season. You're quarter of the way into the season. This team does not look very good at all. And so I will say the one thing that gives me, that makes me maybe the most optimistic is when you look at a team like Oregon and the way that it's sneaking by, that's essentially the same level of team that Ohio State's been playing these last couple of weeks. You would put Stanford and Cal in roughly the same category right now as Maryland and Rutgers. And Oregon is struggling to get by those teams and Ohio State is pasting those teams. That's a that's a too easy of a comparison to make. You're just talking about two teams. And there's a lot of other factors there. But the fact that Ohio State is not just winning now, but is just like making it look a little bit unfair, that's what looks the most like Ohio State again. That they that sometimes the, the, when it starts to look like these other Big Ten teams are playing a different kind of game, that's when it's that's when you start to think that the upside is there. And I think the important part is how much healthier they might be on defense coming out of this week. 
I will say I'm 90% on the offense. And I understand it's not the same defensive coordinator, but because of the weird stuff Indiana likes to do defensively, that will be the final 10% because now CJ having to like adjust and be a quarterback a little bit more. Um, even if the, even if like their cornerback cornerback doesn't play defensively, I may be 65% just because a big bulk of the problem is we didn't know who was going to play and who their best players are. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll see that rise. Not One other thing I want to mention about the defense is when they made that defensive change and put Matt Barnes in front and they've said that it, it doesn't really change a lot. It's mostly just been who calls the play at the end, but they couldn't really change a lot defensively at that point. I mean, you're, you can, Maybe put mm-hmm. some things in that next game plan, but like it, it, you're still just rolling game to game at that point. They had this past week off. I wonder if we'll see anything, any new wrinkles hmm. coming out of this yeah. now that they've had that whole bye week to maybe play with some stuff. I would say I'm probably only 50% of the way there because I am curious. CJ Stroud has played so well. What happens just when you get a secondary where the, the throwing windows aren't quite as big? as they've been that, you know, just with the routes, these guys run and how talented they are and the kind of technique that Brian Hartline teaches and what kind of play caller Ryan day is. It's just, these guys are open a lot. CJ Stroud has done a great job getting them the ball, but when things tighten up a little bit, whether it's against the Indiana defense or the Penn state defense or the Iowa defense, whatever, I'm, I'm not all the way sure there. And then defensively, we like, we think, they're pretty okay, like with Bryson Shaw and Lathan Ransom and Cody Simon and Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Marcus Williamson and like playing significant roles in the secondary. Like we think, but they have not, like Dante Dimas being out for Maryland was a big right. deal. Like they have not faced dynamic playmakers and they're going to face some playmakers in the second half of the season here from Ty Freifogel to Jahan Dotson to Kenneth Walker III to Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. Like, there are going to be some dudes on the offensive side of the ball. And I still think we would all believe, like, again, in a world where a converted running back might be your best linebacker and a true freshman is definitely your best cornerback, you know, like, the talent level, it's not Chase Young. It's not Ryan Shazier. It's not Marshawn Lattimore. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean they can't be a good defense, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself with like, yeah, well, who really would make them pay yet? And I think they're going to face some individual offensive talents like David Bell did to Iowa, where, and David Bell's on the list because they're going to play Purdue, where you can see what can happen when you have a solid plan, a good scheme, some good players, but yikes, that dude's really good. I think what Bell did to Iowa could happen in multiple games for Ohio State. But is that enough for Ohio State to then lose the game is the question. I think they'll get a small glimpse of that this week because Freifogel's not had a good year. He's had a bunch of drops. He just hasn't been mm-hmm. very good this year. But he also, the, the quarterbacks throwing to him have either been Hurt or Jack Tuttle. So um, it hasn't really come together for that whole offense this year, but that's still a guy that you, you think that could create some matchup problems if, if somebody can get him the ball. So I'm, I'm 50% of the way there. Let's get one or more of these in before the break. It's our guy, Smokey Mango from the 614. Hit me with your thoughts. How many games does Travion Henderson have 20 plus carries? They need him to win, but they need him fresh to accomplish their ultimate goals. How would you approach the Henderson situation? I like, coincidentally basically asked this exact question of Ryan Day on Tuesday 
He's had eight, eight, and 16 carries in the three games since the breakout against Tulsa. A lot of that is blowout related. Some of that was a little get dinged related. Um, Steven, do you like, I feel like there's a decent plan ahead that my Trayvon Henderson plan is something like run him as much as you need to win. And if you don't need him to win, like rest him Mm -hmm. a decent amount. And I think they are going to need him more to win because I think the games left are all tougher than Maryland and Rutgers were at Akron. So, because you might need him 25 times against Michigan. You might need him 25 times against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. You might need him 25 times in the playoff. So, like, I'm definitely cool with if seven carries against Purdue gets it done, give him seven carries. Um, Yeah, I, I agree with that. But also, you got to think weather is going to come in and play with some of these games because that's always what happens in the Big Ten. I would say right now of the regular season schedule, two for sure that he has 20 that's Penn state and Michigan. And that's just cause like they might come out and establish him from the get going, both of those games. They might give him to him seven of the first 10 plays any game. Other than that, I think they can get away with 15 or less. No, I think, I, I think something like that sounds right. Nathan, are you, are you sort of in the same realm there? Yeah. It, they're just in a position. I'm not telling anybody any secrets here where you've got, you don't need to target, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave 20 times because you've got the running game. You don't need to get the ball to Trayvon Henderson 20 times because you've got the passing game. So it can kind of just be I mean, that it's it's the the yin and yang they have going on and they can do whatever works the best for that week's game plan. I will say I was looking through the the defenses are about to play or that we think they're going to play the rest of this year. As far as um, yards allowed per carry, Iowa is number two in the Big Ten. Penn State's number three. Michigan State's number five. Purdue is number six. And Michigan's number seven. So the only like lesser run defenses are going to play the rest of the way are Indiana and Nebraska. J.K. Dobbins, his junior year at Ohio State had eight games of 20 Mm -hmm. carries or more. His freshman year in 2017, he had one. And it was the opener against Indiana where he went nuts, which is like very similar to. Trayvon Henderson versus Tulsa, right? It's just Trayvon mm-hmm. Henderson did it in week four instead of week one, but it's like this splashy big time announcing yourself debut. And then they dialed it back with JK. Now they had Mike Weber, but also Ohio state has enough with master Teague and Mayan Williams where they have the option to do that. And that's just the difference, right? Eight, 20 plus carries by the end of his career, JK Dobbins is carrying the ball 30 times down the stretch when they need him. You can't put that on a freshman. They don't want to put it on a freshman. And the complicating factor, obviously, for Trevor Henderson is, well, actually, this is very similar to J.K. Dobbins. Actually, it's the exact same thing. J.K. Dobbins tore his ACL in the first carry of his senior year of high school. So he basically did not play his last year of high school. Trevor Henderson did not play his last year of high school because of the pandemic. So this is a guy who, like, it rested his body, but also, like, he's just not used to it. You've got to build up to the grind. And there is no point in wearing down your best option like that. And then like, guess what happened? They eased, they did not lean on JK Dobbins too much. And then the 2017 big 10 championship game, when they needed him to beat Wisconsin, 27, 21, he ran it 17 times for 174 yards. And he did that because they weren't making him run it 26 times a game in the regular season. When games were in hand, I think we know what the trivia on Henderson plan is going to be. Cause I think it's the JK Dobbins plan that we saw four years ago. And he's also 100% on board with that. If you talk to him, he's all for 
you know, resting and, you know, saving his body as much as possible and using him when he's needed, not necessarily putting too much strain on himself this early because I remember asking him about it back in the recruiting. So he was, he's thinking about that second contract as a, as a running back in the NFL, he's thinking that far out with things. So he's all for, if the bulk of every season, he's only getting the ball 12 to 15 times. And then when it matters, you ramp it up to 25 and 30 in those postseason games. Which all goes back into how they got Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor here in the yep. same recruiting class. They need a reason. I think they need a reason before like Michigan and the big 10 championship game for Trevor Henderson to carry the ball more than like 12 to 15 times in the game. Mm-hmm. Like what, why are, why are we doing this? And if the reason is, well, because Penn state's leading Ohio state in the middle of the third quarter and they're bottling up the passing game and like Trevor Henderson needs to win the game. Great. Short of that. Like, I don't know, which is again, why it's like, you know, like Trevor Henderson is not going to be a Heisman candidate this year. Cause he's, He's going to carry the ball like 13 and a half times a game. You know, Bijan Robinson in year two is a workhorse, right? But he's not there yet. He can, he might be that next year. And as a junior, he's not going to be that now. And I think, I think they know that. I think that's the plan for all of that. Okay. We got more coming because we're about halfway through. We got Columbus restaurants. We got parenting advice. We got um, whether fans are bad fans or not. We got Jersey numbers. We got some really good at the end, Georgia versus Ohio State and halfway Heisman, halfway title pick kind of stuff that we will get into. We will do all of that next after this break on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. A couple little off-topic questions here we'll get to quickly. We'll get a little more rapid. From the 513, I'm moving back to Columbus after 10 years. What is the restaurant I need to go to first? Um, I don't know where you're moving back from, but I, I, I do you have chilies where you live? Because they've added a couple chilies. This is the, I, I have trouble with this. I guess, um, I like Piata, I think, did start like in the Columbus area, but it's, it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. It's in the Mall of America. So I'm assuming, I always thought that was like a good like little, fast casual Italian food, but I think Piata is a lot of places. Um, and then like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not as good with the, the local cuisine. Like, I don't know. There's a blaze pizza on high street. LeBron came to high street. I like the blaze pizza of all the make your own pizza places. Cause I think their pizzas get a little crispier. So I do enjoy the blaze over mod and some of the other ones. Um, Steven, you're a, a longtime Columbus resident. Is there something that's been added in the last 10 years that we need to be alerting people to? I mean, I'm back here for four of it, but um, no, I would just walk down High Street and see what you like, see what you don't like. I'm a big food truck guy, though. Um, mm. And typically, Columbus is really known for its co- uh, summer festivals. Obviously, COVID has ruined that the past two summers, but I would say next summer, as we get back to some form of normality, just go to all the different festivals, you know, Comfest, Rib Fest. Uh, they have a food truck festival where it's just a bunch of food trucks all over the place. So, yeah, next summer, I think, would be, for me personally, that would be the best time when you talk about Columbus dining is in the summer when they have all those festivals and back-to-back weeks kind of leading up to the state fair. Nathan, you're a newer Columbus resident. Is there one that you would highly recommend? 
one that we really love, um, and it's more of a lunch place. I think they weirdly close at like seven o'clock every day, which I always think is a weird time for a restaurant to close. Like maybe just be open till eight. Cause like, I feel like anyway, uh, it's called newfangled kitchen. It's over here in Bexley, but, uh, great. Like we get this thing called the Southern melt, which is a meatloaf sandwich with uh, pimento cheese and they make a great potato salad. So I would recommend that for like a uh, lunch or an, uh, an early dinner. We also really like uh, Hubbard Grill if you're looking for places in the short north that aren't like the super high end places, but um, but also have are, are just like a solid like dinner bar scene. I think I might have mentioned them last week when we were talking about Brussels sprouts because they have Brussels on their happy hour menu. But we like the happy hour menu there, but also just uh, some good food there. They have a they have like a ten dollar uh, fried chicken special during the week too. So, uh, but I there's 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 a lot of great food here in town, even beyond Chili's if you can believe it. I, uh, my wife and I, as we've discussed, my wife and I were out of town last week and we were at our college reunion and in our college town, we went to Chili's, uh, for one of our meals and sent a photo to our children and they wanted to disown us that we went to Chili's, but we're like, we didn't know where to go. And it's all, it's all good. Uh, I guess I was just double checking when Ohio State redid its student union. It was in 2010. So if this person's been gone for 10 years, that happened before they left. But again, I just if you like to try to fake feel young, if you're an old person, hanging out on college campuses is a great way to do that. I love eating in the Ohio State Student Union and going to the little food court. You got a lot of options there and you're surrounded by young college kids who are making their way through the world. And there's this weird old guy with gray hair being like, ah, can I get a wrap? So I don't want to like turn. I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin the Ohio state student union by sending a bunch of 40 and 50 year old people there, but uh, it's a very nice student union. And if you haven't been there since they redid it 10 years, 11 years ago, maybe go ahead and do that. All right. Another couple quickies uh, from the five, one, three, my good friend and loyal Buckeye talk subscriber is in quarantine with his two-year-old daughter for the next two weeks. Both are negative, but he's stressed. Doug, can you give him a pep talk and suggest something to do with his daughter? And then one other bit of parenting advice from the 816. Doug, you've mentioned your kids some on the pod. What's your best parenting advice for us fellow dads? So if you're stuck with your kid, uh, kids love when you make up stories that they're in the story. So we, when I was, uh, when my kids were young, we started off doing all these stories that I would make up stories about them hanging out with their cousins and all these crazy things would happen. And then we turn them into stories about the Jonas brothers and they were doing things with the Jonas brothers and all this crazy stuff. And listen, the kid, you know, it's a two-year-old. You're not, you're not writing, you know, an episode of squid games or whatever. Like you just, you, it doesn't take much to make a two-year-old enamored, but if you make up stories about their life that have like fantastical elements and they're in it, and then you allow them and say, well, how about what, what do you think could be a story? Then you can write little stories together, start making up stories with them in it. And I, and I think it sparks their imagination. And then it gives you guys some stuff to talk about because they'll remember things and you can talk about it during the day. Um, and I just think it was really good. It was like, my kids still remember it. My kids are 17 and 14 and they still remember some of those stories. The other thing about uh, dad bike rides, I'm a big bike ride guy. So I have a da one daughter who likes bike rides, one who doesn't. But you just make your kid go for a bike ride with you and then go ride to an ice cream shop, you know, bribe them. I bribe my kids to do activities with me. It's like you do a thing that you want to do, but you have to do it with me and I'll pay for it. So, you know, that is a that is a lifelong thing. Don't bribe your kids 
just generally, but bribe them by making a fun activity that they have to do with you to get to do the, you know, get to the point, get to the ice cream or get to the shopping or whatever, but they have to do it with you to get it. So, but bike rides, bike rides are always big, big on bike rides. All right. Wedding toast. At nearly 60 years old from the 503, my best friend is getting married in June. Any tips for the wedding toast? Nathan, you ever give a wedding toast? You just had uh, your wedding not so long ago. Did people toast you? Were there good toasts, bad toasts? What advice would you have here? Yeah, I've had uh, a double dose of toasts because we've had two weddings. We had the COVID wedding and then we had the more full-on wedding this past year. I have not ever been a best man or or had to give a wedding toast. I have but I've been the recipient now and my best man got rave reviews for the great job he did um, on his wedding toast, Charlie Deach, my buddy, he's an old Ohio state fan. And um, my, our, uh, our, my father-in-law also toasted us. So um, I, I think my advice is to be, is to have good stories, but what, what's always kind of cringy is when they're like these sometimes, and it happens, I think sometimes more with the, um, the bridal, toast like the stories can get a little like personal and like too far so like like limit them to like the fun stories don't like get too weird with your stories yeah i think that's family friendly yeah yeah keep it family friendly um funny and have a tearful moment to wrap it up i always give yeah that's been my experience with them it's kind of like I, a roast. Like you, you, you say a bunch of embarrassing stuff yep. or like borderline, like funny stuff. But then at the end, it's like, Oh, but we were so glad that you were here in a good sport and mm-hmm. let us make fun of you. But like the equivalent of that for like heartfelt, cause you're like you, they picked you to, to go up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I, like, some of the stuff, I think it is much better if the toaster is the sort of the person that's being embarrassed in the stories that it's like, well, we did this stuff, but like I was a goofball and the, the bride or the groom, they were there for me kind of like, just make sure um, it's not about you. It's about them. It's not about your comedy chops. I think gentle humor is good. My daughter was writing like an intro for a thing at school tonight for an assembly and she has to give the introduction and she didn't have a joke in there. And I was like, I got to have a joke in there. But if you have a gentle joke, where it's not a hundred percent obvious it's a joke that maybe some people will laugh, but if they don't laugh, it's not going to be like the punchline falls flat, gentle humor and self-deprecation. There are people in the world that are incapable of self-deprecating humor. And I find that to be one of the great character flaws that like you're out there ripping everybody else, but you never make fun of yourself. So just keep in mind with the toast, make fun of yourself a little bit in a way that makes the person you're toasting look funny or smart or empathetic or whatever. And then a good advice by Steven, wrap it up with a little bit of a tearful message. And I want to say like the family friendly advice was good, but also like I was at a wedding one time where the best man speech was about like how he and the groom had like driven drunk across the country. Yeah, your parents don't need to know that. And I'm like, like this is like, well, whether the parents know it or not, it just, it reflects really terribly on the person you're honoring, right? So maybe just like, think of like things that are funny, but that don't make the person seem like a terrible person. Yes, even if they are a terrible person or right. especially, maybe. especially yeah. if they're a terrible person. Yeah, make yeah, sure, yeah. make sure. Think of grandma, right? Think of grandma. That the audience isn't just you and your college buddies. Think of grandma. 
which actually think of grandma Buckeye talk, not a bad, not a bad thing for life in general. Although we've said stuff on this podcast that would make grandma's ears bleed. So sorry, grandma from the six, one, six back to football. Am I a bad Ohio state fan for wanting to bench Stroud from Accord? The athletic had Stroud on their all American team from the six, one, six. I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but yes, you are. Wait, do you still want to bench him? Is that the, is it? Cause I mean, yeah. they, they didn't send, they didn't send this email in August. They sent it right. like Tuesday, but did they word it? Am I a bad fan for wanting to bench him at all or still wanting to look. bench him? Let me look. Okay. Am I a bad fan for wanting to bench Stroud from a court? That is an interesting yeah. parsing that you have found there, Steven, because if it is a present tense question, then the yes. answer is yes, you're a bad fan. If it is, a past tense at one time I wanted to know as long as you've come around, because here's the thing that I think is okay for fans to do is it's okay to think that, you know, better than the coaches sometimes. Cause guess what? Sometimes you do. That's what we talk about. Well, why did this guy was in practice and didn't practice well, they didn't play him. Why didn't they play him? We question the coaches all the time. But so when Ryan day was like backing CJ Stroud, backing CJ Stroud, and it wasn't showing up on the field yet then I think it was okay to question it. But when like the whole team and all the coaches are backing a player and then he's playing very well and you're just standing out here by yourself. Yes. Right. Then yes, Steven, I think, and the, yes, you're being a bad fan because you're being sort of illogical to your own detriment. And I'm not sure why. Because when it's the whole world on the other side, mm-hmm. coaches love him, players love him, the performance loves him, and it's just you, then I'm not sure like why you're doing it. There might be some internal thing of like you just can't let go of you were wrong, you thought it would be McCord, and you just you were wrong, let it go. Or like you're trusting your own analysis that like clearly is like is not the deal because it's hundred percent the other way. I think. It's okay to be to still be pro McCord and still admit you were wrong in the sense that if you want to base your argument off of that's Kyle's first game ever as a college football player, he would have gotten better too. Okay, fine. You're allowed to still believe that, but you also have to admit that it shouldn't be a Kyle McCord over CJ Stroud at this point. You were wrong about that. Even if you still think Kyle McCord is a pretty good quarterback. That can be hard to do. Uh, my wife and I decided we like to come up with memoir titles. Um, and we came up with, I think, is my, not that I'm ever going to write one. I'll just write it for myself. This podcast is my living, ongoing, daily memoir, as anyone listening would know. My, my title of my memoir would be, um, My Favorite Sport is Being Right. And that applies a lot to sports media members, but can also apply to fans that in the end, it's like you're rooting for your team, but it's like, you just want your analysis, whether you stated it publicly or just kind of had it in your heart and in your head, you want to be right. You want to watch something and be like, I knew it, especially when everybody disagreed with you. And finally in the end, you're like, I there's, is there any greater phrase in human existence than I told you so? People love I told you so, even if it's an internal I told you so. But you can hang on to that too much. You can't live your life seeking out I told you so's 
at all costs. Also, by the way, parenting advice. Like, it's great to be right, but it is also very good to realize and admit when you are wrong. Buckeye talk. So I just, that, let's make sure that no one's hanging on to, I'm not 100% sure that CJ Stroud is a Heisman winning quarterback who will be the starter for the next three years. I'm not 100% sure of that. He sure is playing some very good football right now. And like you, nobody would think that he should be benched for Kyle McCord right now. Okay. This is a Kyle McCord question, Nathan. From the 301, it's Jeff in Maryland. What do you think is more likely, Kyle McCord playing for Penn State next season or Ohio State losing another regular season game this season? I like kind of like these either, either or things that have nothing to do with each other. Right now, I would say McCord playing for Penn State only because somebody has to leave this quarterback room. So I, I think I've I've probably backed off of where I was at the Oregon game, where I assumed that this team's going to lose another game. That I do think they've trended up to the point where I just, especially on offense, the way it's clicking, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to score at their level. So if you assume that between Stroud and Ewers, somebody has to move on, I would guess it would probably be McCord and Penn State seems as likely a destination as any. I hate that they picked the school. I hate that they threw the Penn State part on there because it makes it harder. Because Drew Aller is going to end up being a five-star by the time he graduates. He got his fifth star today. Yeah, that's just two. Yeah, that's that's two four sevens rankings, not the composite. Okay. Um, um, Kyle McCourt to Penn State. As okay, much yeah, as I, de- I hate that. I definitely disagree with that. I mean, like, you guys don't think they could lose again? They absolutely, I think, could lose again this year. And I just don't know how Kyle McCourt at this point would go to Penn State when Drew Aller as a five-star is going to be there. I don't know why Kyle McCord would choose that. I know he's from Pennsylvania. He's not even – he lives in South he's, Jersey. He's right? he's I mean, like, Jersey, yeah. so. do I think Kyle McCord probably is going to transfer at this point? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But I don't know why you'd go to Penn State because to just throw yourself into another like backbreaking quarterback competition. When if Kyle McCord goes to like fifty other schools, he could be the starting quarterback next year. I think the chances no. of Ohio State losing a game in the regular season, the rest of this season, is like I don't know if I'd say fifty-fifty, but I think it is like certainly possible. And yeah. I think that the window on McCord to Penn State narrows every time Drew Aller throws for 500 yards and he throws for 500 yards like every week Friday no I think I'd probably change my I think you're right I think I'd probably change my answer but I would also say though there's fewer than 50 schools that Common Accord would consider like the other thing about this is you're you're also a, a five-star level quarterback are you going to go somewhere just to you know what I mean like where there's no competition at all because what good school wouldn't have some competition what good program wouldn't have some like nominal, like the Justin Fields thing coming to Ohio State is, I think, a little bit rare, right? Where there's just like, yeah. where the room is just empty. So I, I think he'd have to go somewhere. Whoever leaves this room is going to have to go somewhere where they'd have to compete for the job a little bit if the place is worth, if the place is a real good program, you know? Who's Georgia's quarterback next year? I don't know what JT Daniels' situation is. And I don't know. I don't know Georgia's quarterback recruiting. But I mean, but the point is, he's, He's seen what it's like to be in a quarterback room with five stars, right? So I don't know, but because you can go, you can go, you can do what Joe Burrow did. 
But I mean, like he could go to LSU, he could go to Tennessee, he could go to Iowa, he could go to like he doesn't have to go to Rutgers, right? I I, I get your point, Nathan. That well, I mean, where do you think you're going to be handed a job? It's just I don't know that I'd go to the place where like where Drew Aller, where Drew Aller looks like looks like Northern Quinn Ewers. It's like, what's, I don't even know. What's the difference between Quinn Ewers and Jarrell at this point? And I don't, Northern I say Quinn that Ewers. not knowing anything. <laughs> Northern Quinn Ewers is amazing. So Does Notre Dame have a, it's quarterback situation. Yeah. They have this uh, Ty Buckner guy who's yeah. a freshman yeah. right now. Who's like one of the three guys that play, but I think Kyle McCord might be better than him. Right. So, but I just, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't throw myself into Drew Aller. Especially when it's not like Kyle McCord didn't grow up you know, in the shadow of happy Valley. So I just, and I don't, as much as I think Ohio state is in great position for the playoff, I think the big Ten's good. And I think they're going to get tested. And I think we're not hundred percent sure about this defense. So like, I don't know exactly what my percent chances of Ohio state losing again this year, but it's, it's not impossible in my mind at all. All right. Let's get Delvin specifically on that a little bit more from the four one nine. Is there a team left on the schedule that could hold a healthy Ohio state offense under 35? Would that team also be able to score 35 plus to beat them? I think Penn State's defense could hold Ohio State under 35. Could they score 35? I don't know. But again, they have players in the secondary. They have a little bit of a pass rush. They have some linebackers. We just have to get imagine a world where a secondary's plan makes the receivers a little less wide open. And what does that look like? So I would definitely say Penn state could do that. Nathan 35 is a nice, like right in between number right there. Right. That it's not like the person saying, can anyone hold Ohio state under 50? And it's not, they're not saying, can anyone hold Ohio state under 24? Like 35 is right there. I don't know if Penn state could score 35 without Sean Clifford. They certainly can't with Sean Clifford. I, I don't know. I think Penn State's model for winning in Columbus is probably something like 31-27, right? So I don't know. The first question, holding them under 35, you think anybody could do it, Nathan? Sure. I was just actually looking at an article. Um, the Athletic put this out, but they got the data from something called True Media and then Pro Football Focus. It's like who's leading the, co- the country in stop rate? It's like how many of their drives, opponents' drives don't end in touchdowns. And Georgia's number one, obviously. But like Iowa's sixth, Penn State's ninth, Purdue is 11th, Michigan's 17th. So, I mean, these are teams, Nebraska 22nd, surprisingly, um, Ohio State's 30th, Michigan State 31st, to give you some perspective. So, like, they're playing teams that know how to stop drives. Now, those teams have not played, I'm trying to think, I'm looking, thinking back, like, none of those teams have played anybody with an offense like Purdue's. So, that's always the caveat, right? It's kind of like, you know, um, Purdue, you know, Ohio State always, it's like the strength of schedule thing. Like, well, where does Ohio State rank relative to the rest of the Big Ten? Well, they don't have to play Ohio State. So, like, none of those teams have had to try to stop an offense like Ohio State's yet, but they're all consistently doing it. And I think the other, I think Penn State is probably still the one that I would pick as the most likely just because I think they are the offense that would also most be able to move the chains consistently against Ohio state, which is the other part of the equation, keeping the ball away from Ohio state. Iowa and Penn state could do it. Um, Iowa would do it by a combination of like one, they have a really good defense, but then also they are fifth in the big 10 in time of possession. So they just might hold the ball, 
which helps as well if, if your defense is getting the offense. If the defense is forcing Ohio State to drive the field, but then they're also taking their time with offensive possessions, that's how you keep Ohio State under, under 35, and then Penn State just has enough talent to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if Iowa does have a really good defense still or not. I can't, yeah. like, I can't decide. But, again, they were dinged up a little bit against Penn State. But I, but I think we're all kind of in agreement that Penn State certainly at the top of that list. All right, Steven. Food-related question from the 225. If you only had to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? For me, it's pizza, and it's not even close. Steven, what is it for you? Is it grapes? Yeah, it's definitely grapes. I've been sitting <laughs> here eating grapes while we're doing this podcast. I eat grapes like potato chips. I just go through bags of them, and, yeah, it'd definitely be grapes. As long as my – I wouldn't have any of the negative effects of only eating grapes. I got that right for real? It's actually yeah, grapes? It's God. actually grapes. How about that? How about me paying yeah. attention? Um, I'm going to guess Nathan, that for us, it's not grapes. <laughs> what would the your name? Job. Nathan? The <laughs> one job. Um, man, I don't to be, to be limited to one food. So it's not the one only food you would eat. No, I think, I think they mean only. Yes. Only. Only food you eat. Wow. If you only had one food to eat for the rest of your life. I'll give you a little flexibility within that one food. So it doesn't have to be like pepperoni pizza from Domino's. Like if it's pizza, I think you can eat sort of like all the kinds of pizza. If it's grapes, you can eat the green grapes and the purple grapes. And there's another kind of grapes. There's like a, a cotton candy, every, every cotton candy grapes. I think that's a real thing. They're quite sweet. They're pretty good. They're very so, sweet. So like if you said stir fry, is that too broad? Yeah, that's too many foods. No, that's too many foods in one food. Because that's like all vegetables, all meats, yeah. a variety of sauces. Well, but so is so is saying any pizza. No, that's true. That's a very. I can we get a ruling? Uh, can we get a ruling? It has to be a specific type of pizza. So it would have to be like oh, deep dish pepperoni pizza, or you know. So I just gave you every kind of grape, and now you're going to limit my pizza choices because it's still I don't a grape. This, this is very difficult. But pizza is pizza. It's like any kind of. I guess, but to your point, Nathan, it's like, well, if I'm saying I want any kind of crust, tomato sauce, and cheese with toppings, I want all those varieties. And you're like, I just want any kind of meat and vegetables all chopped up and cooked together in a wok with but, a little bit of teriyaki or whatever on it. I want that. I want those options. I guess I do think the essence of this is that it's it's one, one food item. So I think picking stir fry would would be or or pizza would be against the spirit of what they're asking. Okay, so you want but if you said uh chicken stir fry, see but I don't think they're asking us to say like are they asking a meal a french fry. But like to say I want chicken, peppers and bamboo shoots and teriyaki sauce, right? That's a multiple that's multiple kinds of food, but it's still one food. When someone says, are you having stir fry? Someone doesn't, you don't say, oh, you're having nine foods for dinner. It's like, no, I'm having stir fry. It's a food. I think that's okay. But if we're saying one type and if I'll take pizza, like if I would take, I would take pizza. I would just take like, if that was going to be, I'd just take New York style cheese pizza, right? Whatever from my favorite place. That's what I would take. And I would eat slice after slice, but you would do stir fry then Nathan, if we allowed that. I guess just because then you would be able to get some variety and it would be relatively healthy. I would save yeah. so much money only eating grapes. So I know. much money. 
We should do that. We've done food challenges with you before that have been very popular. Could yeah, you no. just eat nothing but grapes for a week and report on every podcast? Honestly, so I've only been eating fruit. That's the only solid food I've been eating this week with then like these you know, juicer things I've been drinking. So yeah, I could probably pull that off. Is this a this is a an eating plan that you've adopted to eat only fruit for this week? Yeah, yeah, I'm on a bit of a cleanse this week. Nice. Yeah, I'm I meant to do it cleanse. last week, but I just didn't do it. You got a pizza cleanse. <laughs> the thing about me that's strange that I don't really like tomatoes and I don't really like cheese, but I would pick pizza as my favorite thing because it's in that combination. I love it. All right, that was a lot of uh, as often happens on Buckeye Talk. We took an interesting question and just made it about semantics. So. It's like, well, is that one food or nine foods? This is, uh, we might need someone to look at the roster for this. This is a Jersey question. I actually didn't quite get it, but I wanted to ask it anyway. From the 847. Wondering, it's an observation that maybe I'm the only one that cares about. How come all these star freshmen have such boring numbers? Specifically JT, Sawyer, and Henderson. So Henderson's 24, is that right? Henderson is... 32 jack is 30 you're way off sorry jack jack is 33 and jt is 44 and i have answers to two of those three okay so because trey said he's keeping his number the whole way through yeah 32 is for his grandfather i can't remember his name right now but that's why he chose 32 um jack is 30 standard running back number i don't think but also it might mean something to him too yeah Yeah. that it's not yeah um, Jack was 40 in high school, and I don't think you can wear 40 at Ohio State anymore. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Or at least I, I don't know because it's one of the numbers that nobody on Ohio State's roster has it. So I don't know if you, I don't think you can wear it. And then JT was 33 in high school, and Jack has his number. Um, but the overall, the better answer to the, so that's those three guys. The better answer is because they're freshmen and they got to, they have to take the numbers that are available because all the upper class would have all the cool numbers. Hence Chris Olave changing his number to from 17 to two, which I'm pretty sure Mecca wants to, but Chris has it, so he's wearing 12 this year. Denzel's wearing 29. Um, seven didn't always wear number seven. Jeff Okuda wasn't always number one. So it's just when you're an underclassman, you got to take what's available. And then when somebody leaves, you can take their number. 40 is retired for Hop Cassidy. Yes. Heisman winner Hop Cassidy. But the thing I think is interesting is this. There has been a tradition of the single numbers being the coolest and the single numbers being taken by veterans and Mm -hmm. young guys working their way up to that. In a world where people now can buy and are buying jerseys of current players and players are making money from that, does that change that equation at all? Because Trevion Henderson, for instance, told people, I'm not changing. Like, if you want to buy my jersey now, I'm not changing, right? The You know, people who bought the Bosa jerseys got multiple years out of those 97s, right? Chase yeah. Young was number two from the jump. Some of this stuff, I do think, I don't know how much players care about it, but it kind of sucks for fans to buy a Jersey number of a guy. And then like the next year, he's not that Jersey number anymore. So I don't know if it makes sense that maybe JT or Jack Sawyer or guys like that would stick with numbers. You just don't get the best numbers when you're a freshman. So do you, are you more likely to stick with the number for the rest of your career in the NIL? I'm getting paid for my Jersey numbers and people are buying it world. Um. It depends on how lucky you get with the number game. I, I don't think I wouldn't buy a Denzel Burke jersey right now because I don't 
I mean, 29. I don't understand in the 20s is where a lot of defensive backs are, but I doubt he keeps that number. It's no different than CJ Stroud was wearing 14 for a little bit last year because Cameron Babb was also wearing seven. So I think you just got to pick your spots or you can just add them on Twitter and ask them while they're keeping their number and hopefully they get back to you. But I do think, you know, Jackson Smith and the Jigba got lucky. Legend Cavazos and Julian Fleming got lucky because four was open. So it's just, I think just you just got to pick your spots on which freshman jer- jerseys you, you want to buy right now until you're set in stone that you know that's that's going to be their number long term. CJ Stroud's probably not changing, right? So you no, can buy a CJ yeah. Stroud jersey. So like some of those, I think you're right. I think it might just be more about the cycles. If I were a player, I would at least let that enter my thinking a tiny bit because I wouldn't want if I were JT, I wouldn't want some kid who loves me to order my Jersey because I'm already contributing mm-hmm. and he just thinks I'm the greatest and then be like, Oh yeah, next year I'm, I'm changing my number. Cause I didn't really like my first number. And then like some kids like, uh, now I'm not saying that would be bad, but it would enter my thinking at least 5%. If I didn't like hate my number, right. If I didn't hate mm-hmm. my number, I would be slightly more apt to stick with it. And that thought process is why I thought it was worth at least talking about. I'm going to do this very quickly because this is for limited audience. I got multiple Disney questions. I'll try to get back to other texters. Again, you want to be part of it. 614-350-3315. Nick from Mississippi in the 618. I've been a Buckeye Talk listener for years. A non-football question. I'm planning my first ever Disney World trip with my family. What's the number one tip you can give? So here's the thing. You just got to know this about Disney World right now. I'm actually a little mad at Disney World. They used to have this thing where you stand in line normally, or you could get these special passes to go in the fast line but you could only get one at a time and you could get a couple ahead and it didn't cost any money. But if you planned your trip, you could go on their website a month ahead of time and say, I want these three rides. I want the fast line ticket. They're called them fast pass. I want them for these days. And then you wouldn't have to wait in line for those rides and everybody could do it equally. They just transitioned to a world where you have to pay for that right. So they have rides now where it's like, hey, I paid more than a hundred bucks to get in the park, but if I want to go on the most popular ride and go in the line that's short instead of the long, I have to pay like 15 bucks a person just for the one ride to get in the fast line. It is quite a money grab by Disney. I'm very, very disappointed in them. I know the pandemic hit everybody. They're already making money hand over fist. And now you're creating, you're creating different classes of people in the park because before everybody had the same access to the, to the fast passes and you paid your fee and you got in. I I really don't like where they are. Like really don't like it. It's classist. Cause if you're a family that's like, man, we're stretching a little bit just to get in. And it's like 115, 120 bucks to get in, but lots of things in life are expensive. And if you think of going to Disney world, like going to a sporting event or going to a concert, those tickets are a lot. And those are for like two or three hours. This is for all day. It could be for 12 hours. I do think you can rationalize that it is quote worth it, but it is jacked up, man. It is jacked up to be like, Oh, why are those people getting to wait in line for 15 minutes? while I wait in line for two hours. It's like, Oh, well, they're a family of four. They paid an extra 60 bucks just to be in the fast line. It's freaking jacked up, man. So I don't want to ruin Nick's vacation. You'll still be fine. The number one thing for anybody going to Disney World is you have to plan. This is not a beach vacation. This is not a hiking in the woods vacation. You cannot just show up and show up at the park. You have to plan because it will make the fun 10 times better. 
Because if you don't plan at Disney World, you have to get dining reservations. You have to have an idea of what park you want to go to on what days. You have to sort of think this is the day we're going to swim. It doesn't mean 100% you have to stick to it. Please plan. And then as you just pick your favorite stuff. But if you just show up and are like, okay, we're here to have fun, you're going to get frustrated. And I have had that happen to people. And it disappoints me. And it's like, well, I don't want to plan my vacation. And it's like, okay, well, then maybe go to the beach right? That this is, this is just how this works, but it's, it is expensive. It's super fun. And just make sure you, you sit down with your family and think it out because there are windows 30 days ahead, 60 days ahead where you can book dining, you can book different rides, right? Just be aware and have a plan. And there's little special things. You can build a lightsaber. You can build an R2-D2 droid. You can go into the Star Wars area and go in the bar where Greedo was killed by Han Solo and like sit in a replica of that bar, but you can't just show up and do it. you got to book reservations for that stuff. And if you're like, what? I want to build a lightsaber. How come I can't build it? It's like, well, because people made reservations two months ago for that. So do that now. Just plan, Nick, and you'll have a good time. And while you're there, tell them they're jacked up for making people pay for the fast line. That was too much Disney, but I'm mad at them. I'm mad at my favorite thing. It's disheartening. Let's get back to football with two big football questions to wrap this up. From the 3-3-0 in a hypothetical playoff matchup, would Georgia have a harder time stopping Ohio State's offense or would Ohio State have a harder time stopping Georgia's offense? Nathan, this is, this is such an interesting battle. And the main point that I just want to throw out there is I think Ohio State is built to deal with Georgia better than any team in the country. I think the best matchup potentially for the national title is Ohio State versus Georgia. This unbelievable. We talked about their swarming defense on the playoff show on Wednesday. They'll go 20 deep. They attack you. There's not a single standout. There's eight standouts. They're unbelievable. I think you have to throw over them. And Travion Henderson helps loosen that up. But like the passing game that Ohio State has is the best antidote to this Georgia defense. But Nathan, like trying to pick, well, which would be better? It's like, well, it's like two awesome things and then two good, but you're not sure how good things. So I don't actually know what my answer is to the specific question but I'm just saying Georgia, Ohio state might be where the sport would like to get for the title game. Yeah. I think the other tricky thing is like, we haven't seen Georgia's offense really clicking yet because of injuries. Some other things have just been out there. We don't know. I think what the quarterback situation is going to look like for sure. The second half of this season, it's going to be JT Daniels when he's healthy, but he's not healthy yet. Right. So like that, that makes it more difficult to project, but I think that's the question that I've had this whole time is, okay, Ohio State's really um, put it to Maryland, Rutgers. But even if Georgia doesn't lead with its offense, even though its defense overshadows its offense, it's still got a different level of athlete on offense when it's healthy that is going to be a completely different challenge than what Ohio State's faced so far. Steven, do you have a hard take either way? Yeah, it's Ohio State wins – 45 to 38 or Georgia wins 21 to 17. So the couple, like there's a couple things like Georgia's defensive tackles are awesome. Their linebackers are awesome. They lost their two starting corners from last year to the NFL Mm -hmm. draft. And another guy they thought was going to be a starting corner this year is out for the year with a shoulder injury. Another guy who they thought would be a starting corner has been hurt and missed the last couple of games. They're playing Kaylee Ringo 
who's a young five-star guy at yeah. corner, like every snap right now, they're, they are less good at corner than they are in their front seven. So like, that's a thing that would be in Ohio state's favor. The thing on the Georgia offense is Stetson Bennett, our guy is playing like solid. Okay. Not screwed up quarterback right now. JT Daniels has a lot of injury. He'll be back and he'll take the job back when he's there. They have a three headed gut monster at tailback that I think is legit. George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock who are probably like their two best receivers have been out the whole year. They have two really good tight ends, including a freshman tight ends. Who's like, one of the best freshman offensive players in the country right there with Travion Henderson, a cup below Travion Henderson and Brock Bowers, who's almost their most reliable guy right now. Darnell Washington is another tight end. Who's a real matchup issue. So there are certain things, right? Like I wouldn't love Ohio state against the Georgia tight ends. Just like I wouldn't love the Georgia corners against the Ohio state receivers. A lot of sort of like the best of kind of what one team does is up against kind of the worst of what the other does. The Georgia defensive tackles, and again, we did it for 25 minutes on the Wednesday playoff show. I've never seen it like it. They have three guys who are like 6'6", 350, and move like <laughs> ballet dancers. I, I don't know what you do. I think it's possible, but guess what? Guess what Ohio State has? I don't know, like two of the best guards in the country? Could Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson Jr. like win the game for Ohio State? They might. All this stuff, like, as I'm like, oh, Paris Johnson is sacrificing and playing guard when he should be playing tackle. It's like, oh, what's he going to do? I don't know. Block the three best tackles in the country and give this run game a chance. Give CJ Stroud a chance because he's going to keep these tackles all out of the backfield could be huge, right? So I, it would be a fascinating matchup. I kind of hope we get it sort of like for college yeah. football because I think like, I just think Ohio State's better prepared than like Caleb Williams and Marvin Mims and Kennedy Brooks, whatever Oklahoma might do offensively. I don't even know who else would be in the conversation from an offensive standpoint. Maybe Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, you take your shot. I get it. But I think Stroud, Olave, Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigbo, Ruckert, Travion Henderson against 11 guys flying around. Like, I, Stephen, like, I kind of want to see that. I kind of want to see, to your point, which way would it go? Because Georgia clearly has the best defense in the country. Mm -hmm. And I do think. Ohio when Ohio's, when, when CJ yeah. Stroud is being this CJ Stroud, they have the best offense in the country. Literally, I mean, Georgia leads the nation in yards allowed and points allowed per game, and Ohio State leads the nation in yards per game, and then they're second behind Coastal Carolina. So they're first in the country among Power Five schools in points per game. So it'd be it's it's almost a in a world where you know Nick Saban has said defense doesn't win you championships anymore. Georgia's kind of the last stand of that type of style of football, while Ohio State kind of represents what football is today and what style wins out. But also, fun fact: Kelly Ringo and Denzel Burke from the same high high school in Arizona, Segura High School, which is where Clemson practiced at before the Fiesta Bowl in 2019. So Nathan and I were there. Interest, interesting. Um, I do think. I do think it is a would be a, a classic matchup in every way. I think it's hard. Like Jordan Davis is a guy for Georgia who like, if you're trying to put out a Heisman person, we're going to do Heisman person, Heisman stuff next to finish it off. If you're trying to put out a Heisman contender for Georgia, it's probably Jordan Davis. Who's their giant defensive tackle who, by the way, and Nathan, we want to tell the people about the Dewan Jones story that you're writing. Dewan Jones is offensive Jordan Davis because Jordan Davis for Georgia was the number 424 recruit in the country. He was a six foot six, 330 pound guy who was just like bigger than anybody else, but raw 
And now here we are, I think he's a 2018 guy. Here we are in year four, and he is sort of unlike anybody you see in college football because he has technique, he has want to, and then he has he has quickness with that size that he's in the backfield and you can't block him. And when you were asking a lot of Dewan Jones questions on Tuesday, and I had just researched a lot of Georgia for the playoff show, I couldn't get away from the comparison of those two guys, just like almost oversized to the point of like, listen, man, like we got to get you in shape and we don't know. And we got to make sure you want this and we're not sure it's going to happen, but like, if it does, Oh my God. And I think Jordan Davis is like top, top, top end. What the hope would be for Dewan Jones. I would like to see it. I hope we see it for just a, any fan standpoint, not even an OSU fan standpoint. And I think we have like a, a somewhat decent chance of seeing it. So we're going to do, I think, a lot more Ohio State-Georgia talk uh, over the second half of the season if the Buckeyes keep winning because I think most of college football, not that they aren't there now, but it's so obvious. It's not just we're on Buckeye talk. Like, everybody would see it. It's like, oh, what could beat Georgia's defense? It's like, I don't know. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigma, Jeremy Ruckert, Trevor Henderson, C.J. Stroud, Paris Johnson, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit, Fred, Dewan Jones, Luke Whippler? Like, yeah, that's the best chance. All right, let's do our halfway title, halfway Heisman. Second to last question from the 614. My 614 homeboys, your national title picks, your Heisman picks. Would love to hear them. Let's do Heisman picks first. I know before the season, I think Nathan and I both picked Sam Howell from North Carolina. Not going to happen. Steven, you picked Bijan Robinson from Texas. Could happen. Nathan, where would you go right now? I was actually just trying to bring up my uh, my AP ballot that I, I sent in. Um, I mean, my disdain for the for the Heisman is 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 known. I don't think it would be someone like Jordan Davis, like you're talking about. Like, I don't think like it's it's not going to be someone like that, who even though they might be demonstrated to be the best, most interesting player in college football right now. I guess I would probably lean B. John Robinson. At this stage. So I just want to do, I, I want to give a heads up here just really quick because I'm going to give a cop-out answer. So cop-out answers are allowed here, by the way. I mean, just I, so I don't you know. think anybody has, has taken the lead even yet. No. I don't even know who I would think is the front runner right now. I, I get the Jordan Davis hype, but for def- what we've seen with defensive players is they have to have the stats with it and his stats aren't there, even if the impact is. He plays half their snaps. He only plays yeah. half their snaps. And that's, yeah, that's so part deep. of it. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, and he's so he's he's not gonna have the stats because of how they rotate the guys in there. So he's get he, he's eliminated because of that. Even if he is clearly the best guy on that defense, um, I'm gonna stick with Bijan for now because none of the play potential playoff teams have had a guy kind of rise up. I mean, we'll see what CJ does over the next couple of weeks, but I'll stick with Bijan for now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not it's it's almost a futile discussion because somebody's going to win it in the second half of the season like it it hasn't been won yet it's practically like we're at ground zero we're at the starting point we don't we know less than we knew at the beginning of the season you know and so we've eliminated some favorites but yeah Yeah. it's not spencer rattler it's not sam howell but nobody has risen up like kenneth walker the third from michigan state leads the nation in rushing is like does anyone really think kenneth walker's gonna win the heisman like he's good but he's not you know, I don't think he's like that level of a running back. And like, is there a receiver? Like people if have Matt, out like if, the West. Go ahead. If Cole, if Ole Miss would have beaten Alabama, Matt Corral would be the leader right now. 
I, I agree with that. I love Matt Corral. I spent, yeah. I've been talking, I talked about Matt Corral for three weeks on the playoff show, but like, but he, he didn't. didn't. And right, I don't so. know if he's like, so then it's the Lamar Jackson case. Well, it's like, it's not that you play for a national title contender is that you're so unique in your gifts and your talents and he's not and that. your skills that it doesn't, it's not about your team. It's about you. And I, I don't know that anybody like maybe that's Bijan. I think Bijan has the best Lamar case mm-hmm. as like a, Hey, my team's barely a top 25 team, but look at what I do. Nobody like a Barry Sanders case. Nobody else does this. I think Bijan has the best case there, but I think we need to see a lot of this other stuff shake out. We have to figure out who the best teams in the country are. And I don't think we know that yet. And there's one clear best team in the country and they're, they have seven Heisman candidates, which means they actually kind of have none. So I just, it's not worth like wrapping your head around. I think Steven, in the end, I would agree with you. Like, I think Bijan might be the leader right now, but I don't actually think he's going to win it. I think somebody kind of off the radar who gets it going for a title contender in the second half is the more likely candidate. Um, but I also I have no idea who that's going to be. All We've right, reached so, the point where, right. I mean, Caleb Williams might end up throwing his name in there, which would be crazy to think about, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, another, you know, it's like if Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, like just tear it up in the second half yep. for, for major contenders, I just have a very hard time thinking of CJ Stroud as a Heisman candidate. Like I just, I just think there's so many other things at play, but if you don't know who to vote for and they have the best offense and he's the quarterback of the best offense and there's not another obvious candidate and people just have too hard of a time trying to figure out if it's Chris or Garrett or Travion or whatever. And the answer is, well, I guess it's the quarterback of the best offense in the country. Like I just, I kind of can't imagine that because Having watched it through six games, he's a very he's playing very well. I don't think he's like, you know, he hasn't had a moment yet that's made you go, "That's my Heisman Trophy candidate." Even if his numbers scream Heisman Trophy, his numbers yell it. But like when you watch it game to game, like he's very Mm -hmm. good. But like it's because Chris Olave is smoking his guy at the line of scrimmage to the extent that he's ten yards open. That I think is a greater factor. And again, it's not a criticism of CJ Stroud to think I don't know that he should win the Heisman as a first year starting quarterback, even though we've seen first year starting quarterbacks do it. So, but it's just not worth having like two, it's not worth arguing about, right? Because there's really no argument right now. That's what the second half of the season is for. National title picks, though. Steven, where are you on the national title pick? I had picked Georgia as my number one seed in the playoff, but I said they'd be upset in the playoff and I had picked Oklahoma to win the national title. I would pick Georgia to win the national title right now. I think they're the best team and the way they're playing in the regular season is making me less thinking it's less likely that they sort of choke in the playoffs, right? That I just think they are, they got 20 dudes on defense. Their quarterback will get healthy. They still have more skilled players who are going to come back. And I think they've got the right package. So it's hard for me to get away from Georgia. Staying with Georgia because there's nothing I need to see from them. I get they just need guys to get healthy, but there's no, you're not holding out for something that you just haven't seen from a talent standpoint yet. And honestly, with the way Alabama's looked, where it's just like Jamison Williams or die, uh, they might keep Alabama out of the playoff. Yeah. 
no, nobody's doing anything close to what Georgia's doing right now. Like Arkansas was ranked at the time 37 to nothing. Auburn is ranked. We play them on the road 34 to 10. Kentucky's ranked 30 to 13. Like they're just they're thumping good teams and nobody else mm-hmm. is doing that, including Ohio State. I think Georgia's also like we talked about before. I think they're growing towards being better. And so is Ohio State. So are some other teams. But Georgia started at a higher level and is still potentially getting better. Yeah, they've got a lot left left offensively to get to, I think. <laughs> the, the craziest stat, they've given up uh, they've given up 46 points this year. <laughs> yeah. There are three teams in the country who average more than that per week. Yeah, well, they had back-to-back shutouts in the SEC a couple <laughs> weeks ago, which is like the stupid. first time since the 80s yeah. or something that somebody had back-to-back shutouts in the SEC. So, you know, it was a and little one was Vanderbilt, but it was a little clunky in the first half against Kentucky until they got rolling. But then Stetson Bennett like was really had good numbers in the second half. And yeah. again, it's not going to be him. It's not going to be him. It's going to be JT Daniels. And they're just getting through right now. Um, but that defense is electric. And again, like three tailbacks and two really good tight ends and some receivers that are coming. I just think it's going to be hard to beat them. All right. One actual last tiny little question that isn't really a question, but I had to at least I didn't even put it on the list for you guys um, from five, seven, one. Would Doug rather have Ohio state lose another game this season or give up chilies for a year? So I just want to say that no matter what you put as the first thing in that question, it's that answer. It's like, would Doug rather, you know, cut off three toes on his left foot or not eat chilies for a year. It's that like, I don't know. I mean, other than, harm to my family it's not an ohio state football question it's a chili's question it's a no chilies for a year question and it's not just about food it's about my level of happiness so it would have to be something because i could even go disney world without like no disney world or no you know again as long as it's not my family as long as i can still see my two kids and my wife and they're happy and healthy like it could be someone would you rather you know put Nathan on the rack and have his limbs pulled off or not eat chilies for a year. It's like, no offense, Nathan, but like, I'm not, I'm not that I'm not going without chilies for a year. So that's the, the soda there has a sharper taste. I always say it tastes Bernie, not like Bernie Sanders or Bernie Madoff, but like, like it almost burns. Like the carbonation is so sharp that even the, the diet Coke there tastes better. So Maybe that's just mental, and it's just the it, happiness it that I feel. You don't it's think a it's a mental illness? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you think the chilies is special to this degree? It quite just, simply is not. I'm trying to envision. I'm a visual person, so I'm trying to visualize that conversation of someone being like, "Nathan is up there hanging from his limbs, and we're gonna pick him apart." Yeah. If you don't give up chilies for a year, and you just looking at Nathan and going, "It's chilies, man. It's chilies." I wouldn't even be able to answer because my mouth would be full with the uh, tortilla chips, you know? So, like, my answer would be like, oh, oh, sorry, Nathan. Anyway, all right, we got to get out of here. Thanks to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on Friday for the pregame pod on the Indiana Hoosiers. Saturday night, we will all be in Bloomington. Try the texts, read the site, listen to the pod. You guys know what to do by now. Try the playoff show if you're not listening yet. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was... Buckeye talk.